Hello and <laughs> welcome we to the show. Thank you guys so much for joining us, whether that's live with us right now on Twitch, youtube.com slash the comics pals, wherever you're with us right now. We have with us a very special guest. Some of you may have seen him here before because we have had this guest on the show or interviews on the road at various cons several times now. This is a Comics Pals OG family, Pals family. We have comic book creator, creator of Hive Mind, Plaid Klaus. Plaid, how is it going, man? It's good, man. I mean, the book's done. I'm just ready to get it out for mass distribution. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... You know, it's it's been a while since we've hung out with you. Uh, we've we've actually got the book on the screen right now. If you're watching this live or on YouTube, and say hello as you join us. If you're joining us live, uh, what's up, Harris in the chat? Uh, so we've got the we've got the the book on the screen. That really crazy cover of you know this for you know people watch or people not watching um, this. Is he a robot? Is he a monster? We don't really know. With a huge smile, big red eyes, and this glowing box, um, you know, it, it's it, it's visually arresting. Uh, this is a book that I was excited to read because you've been talking about it for such a long time. So I can't wait to get into that with you. And there's so many things to talk about. Before we do, uh, I just want to let you guys listening know where you can find us all over the internet and how you can support. Uh, we do go live Saturdays every single Saturday at 1015 for this very show. Uh, that's 1015 Eastern. And then Wednesdays for Pals Polls at 6 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys are tuning in for that. Uh, our our review for the Batman will be up on Monday when this posts everywhere else. So check that out uh, on YouTube. Make sure you guys are hitting that subscribe button, liking the video, sharing with your friends, commenting, all that stuff's free. Helps us out a lot more than it costs you. And if you want a companion piece to our review for the Batman, uh, check out our year one book club. Batman Year One Book Club. We had a great conversation about some of the stuff that directly influences the Batman. And having seen it now, uh, we can definitely say it was influenced by that book and other things too, of course, the long Halloween, ego, things like that. So uh, check out that uh, that book club. Uh, before we dive into you, Platt, I just want to ask you a quick question. Is, is the Batman, based on the trailers and stuff, the kind of thing that you're into? Have you even seen it yet? Or are you planning to? I mean, who doesn't want to see Robert Pattinson with his shirt off? Am I right? Fair enough. Fair no, enough. I, I don't That's know. Best point so far. I'll probably check it out. Um, I I've waned from from a lot of the the cinema stuff recently. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. It is. Uh, if you're not overwhelmingly hyped by it, like right. I tend to be, right. it's right. kind of like all right already. I get. I that. mean, <laughs> I'll watch it. It's gonna be fun. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Or just just move to Buffalo, New York, where I moved to, where there was six people in my theater on a Friday night. It was. <laughs> Wow. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Although, actually, I, I prefer the packed, uh, not during COVID, but in general. Um, yeah. All right. So enough bat talk. Let's talk about the hive. Let's talk about hive mind. So when I first heard about the hive, I'm going to tell this story. Uh, our guest, Plaid Klaus, was walking around New York Comic Con with shades on, right? <laughs> 
just casually handing out these flyers. I still have that, by the way. Dude, I, just, hope, I hope everyone who got one kept it that day. <laughs> and just, just puts it as like a question mark in reality. Like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and we had no idea what it was. You, you, I mean, you gave us an idea, but we yeah. did we did some crazy interviews. I remember Phil uh, interviewed you. You guys had a great time. That stuff is still up on our YouTube page. You guys can go check it out. Um but you know, you talked to us about what the hive mind was, but you were very vague. Yeah. Now that I have read it, yeah, I completely understand why you yeah. couldn't say anything about it. Absolutely. So can you can you talk to us about the origin of the book, the the conception of it, and what it took to get it from your from your brain to our hands? Yeah, yeah. No, it was a long process. Uh, it started off with like a joint smoking session where I was reading early 20th century psychology books. There's this book by Charles de Cooley, who is a... Uh, like you do. What's that? Like you do. Like you do. Uh, no, there's a book by Charles de Cooley, and he's talking about... It's called Human Nature and Society. And my mind was blown. Like, mm-hmm. uh, just because it was a concept I had never, like, encountered before. And it was like a brick wall. It was this idea that, like, humans and society are interlinked in a manner that they're, that are, that's inseparable. But it's also a chicken or egg where, like, where did society come from and where did the human come from? And society is molding humans the same way environment molds animals and everything. Um, so it was all about this relationship between man and society. And like when you take man out of a person, sorry, take a person out of society, what are they? Like, are they still what they were? Are they something different? And uh, so I'd already been planning to do some sort of sci-fi noir. And I wanted to place it way out in, in space so that I wouldn't have any conflicts of like, modern times because i want to be able to talk about modern times without a lot of the weight that comes with the social controversies because honestly a lot of it i can speak to but i don't know if i can speak to it well enough so i wanted to get all that out of the way so i made it look like like it was 1940s um just post-war and i wanted to get sort of like this berlin wall feel um and people aren't sure when they jump into the book what's happening and so i wanted to slowly have the the central figures start to question a little bit about like society itself and the societies and um, and hence that was what the hive mind, um, became. So that was sort of the crux of it. And then I had to figure out how to tell it in an interesting way and how to make the characters flow and how to have the audience digest it slowly over time where I don't just give them the, the twists too soon. So, I mean, you've experienced it as a reader. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on what it felt like. Reading Absolutely. It. Yeah. Um, I, I want to mention though uh, that this book, I I actually physically have it because you were selling it at New York Comic Con um, this past year, which was really cool. I was able to pick up a copy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you you actually like sold out by the end. Oh, all but one, my friend. Ah, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I keep saying sold out, but technically I kept one because I was like, you know, this thing ever becomes a collector's, I hate for everyone else to be making bank on it and not have. <laughs> but now <laughs> I you and me. Nostalgia. Um, yeah, I know it sold out so quick that I was like, I, you know, I, I'm kind of when you work in the industry, you have to kind of like approach publishers and figure out what's what's the next step of the book. And I kind of was like, I just want to take a shot and get a larger distribution out there, and mm-hmm. then uh, from there grow it, grow it at cons and stuff. Because I, I like the idea of like uh, growing it through the fans, if possible. So it was, people were so people come up to me after they read it at Comic Con and they were like, "Holy shit, dude!" Or like you know, like freaked out or like it was fun to see the reaction. So I I kind of like that personal one-on-one connection. 
Well, speaking of growing it through the fans, that's exactly what you're going to be trying to do here because you're launching a Kickstarter, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's March 7th that this Kickstarter is going to be going live. So if you're watching this right now live, that is on Monday. If you're watching this after it posts, it's already up. So we will have a link. Definitely go at least check out the page. If you look at the page, if you look at the page, if you look at some of the interior art that may or may not be posted, Ooh, you're going to want the stream right now from, from that, mindcomics.com. Yeah. Perfect. It's, yeah. It's- perfect. We've, yeah, we've got that rolling. It's gorgeous. Uh, you may or may not know plaid from void trip, which you did with Ryan O'Sullivan. Yep. That was an amazing book that was published through image. So there is that pedigree. <laughs> Give this a chance. I read it and I'm about to speak to how I felt about it. I'm saying up front, I think it's worth it. Here's why. So this is a book that I did not realize that I wanted and needed because I didn't know what the fuck it was about. But <laughs> once I opened it up and I saw the first page, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun because I open it up and it's like presenting the story through it's like this. Uh, what would you call that effect? You would it's know like better. Static glitch. Static glitch. Yeah, it's like this glitch, and it's a, it says it's a memory file. So it's a futuristic technology, right? We're watching someone's memory, but it looks like it takes place in the past. So I was like, "Oh, that's cool as shit." This is probably going to be a futuristic noirish tech story uh, with a detective. This is what I'm into. I want this, right? <laughs> And, I, and then as the story continues, I realize, oh, I still don't know what's going on. My <laughs> mind's being melted right now. And piecing things together ended up actually being a lot of fun. Yes. Figuring Great. things out along with the main character, uh, Kip, and, and kind of like seeing, oh, this is a crazy world. You know what I'm saying? Um, so from a story perspective, I was hooked pretty fast, even though I didn't know what was going on. And those are the kinds of stories that I really appreciate, the ones that make me work. And so I could tell that you put a lot of time into that aspect of it. Was it tough for you to figure out how to present the story in a way that didn't give too much away too early, but wasn't so dense and confusing that people might not like stick around? You know, it was it was it was complicated because especially I was creating completely in a silo. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things when I'm working, I like to sort of I guess the equivalent of an actor is like uh, like a character actor, like to really embed myself in the work. And like I wanted to sort of slightly lose sanity with it and like it just becomes insular when i was creating it um i got i got an editor on board at the very end and and i wanted to make sure all the concepts i was building came through but like as you're building the story without having readers to validate whether things are being picked up or things are understood or if like it was hard but i had to trust in my instincts and it it ended up working out i mean some of my favorite movies like example memento i love that because memento you you're dropped in the middle and you're like what the what's going on and you have to slowly piece it together like you said um and i I get furious when i watch something like lost sorry to anyone who like loves that show i loved it for a season or two (laughs) they they didn't know where i don't if they knew where it was going to go it wasn't interesting enough to create the the questions up front i wanted the reverse i wanted like the questions up front to be elusive and you know i wanted an enigma throughout but i wanted the payoff to be so much worth it Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's actually, I have it planned for a three volume arc. So the first volume, that experience you get throughout the book where you, you're like, oh, I've got it. I understand what's now what's happening. I understand what's happening between the two parties. I understand. Like the fun part for me is going to be when I put out the second volume and I show you like, oh no, 
you only knew half of what was going on, but it's okay. Cause I'm going to keep walking you through, but uh, no, it was really hard and um, it took some work and I just had to keep reading it through myself and trying to like get high enough where I didn't remember what I made. Or what <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, not kidding, but kidding. You know what? Um, it's funny you mentioned Memento because I was actually thinking a lot about uh, Dark City and the prestige and things yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that were like, you know, dark stories that are kind of like mind bendy, yeah. um, especially Dark City kept ringing in my head okay. as I was reading this. Yeah. Um, it, it was just such a it was so impressive um, because this is not an easy thing. I, didn't, I don't think to to pull off. Right. And I want to. Um, oh, by the way, you should know this. So Kefis in our who's watching live says he just bought the digital copy. Oh, word. Oh, yeah. I still got it on my site. All yeah. right. Thanks, man. Thanks for the support. Yeah, that's hey. awesome. Kefis. Thank you. Um, the yeah. Join the hive, right? <laughs> um. <laughs> You... I got these just in case. Hey. <laughs> I've upgraded my glassware. So, like I said earlier, you know, we first encountered you through Void Trip. I think, you know, people in comics who know you, probably that was that was where they very first saw your work with Ryan, you know, through Image yep, yep. and stuff like that. So, I don't know your history as far as writing goes yeah 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 is this the first project that you've actually done everything on i would say this so when you're young you have sex right but it's not real sex yeah <laughs> and then as you mature you learn how to have real sex so that's the way i would say with my old work it was sort of like uh not thought out uh it was fun uh it was always short that's also comparable. But this is the first full-length thing that I put out that like is fully constructed, you know, it has editing on it. Um, I've always wanted to do this, you know, that's what I've always been aspiring towards. Um, I mean, I I literally wrote, illustrated, lettered, colored, like I did the entire comic process, printed, uh, stuff I've been learning since I was like 20. Wow. So this is always where I was headed, but I wouldn't say I had anything in my past that I mean you could dig up some stuff, it wouldn't be that hard. Uh, there's this series I did called Psychonauts, which is a completely nonsense. It's basically an examination through the lens of like psychedelics of like uh, pop culture, inter internet conspiracy theories. Mm. So it's this just bizarre out there idea that I was like, oh, this would be fun. And it's pretty nonsensical, but I'm, I'm still, it was fun to do. And I, I think one wants to read that, that's fine. Um, I did a short piece called Off Grid, which was about kind of about things that are, that are happening now. And this was in 2012. It was all about like where a drone's going to go, uh, digital technology, uh, how our society is going to control their populaces in the future. And it's funny, if you watch Black Mirror, I post, I predate, uh, I forget the name of the episode, but there's this little droid bot that's like patrolling oh, yeah. the forest, hunting people yep. down. Yep. Go read Off Grid. If you can find <laughs> it online. I know it's on there. I did that shit in 2012. So I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's kind of like, this was the first real thing that I've done that... Um, that I would like to be part of my repertoire, I guess. Yeah, uh, and and by the way, um, Harris says that he signed up for the Kickstarter notification. So, excellent, Harris. Thanks, man. Do join us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Harris, knowing your taste, I definitely think you will enjoy this. Uh, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I highly recommend you check this out. Um, so, because this is your first, like, real, um, you know attempt at doing something you know full scale from from stem to stern uh 
you were, would you say you were kind of like learning as you, as you went? No, like I said, I've been practicing this for like two decades now, nearly. So like I knew the whole process. And the funny thing is when you work with, I haven't worked with that many writers. Like Ryan was the first writer that I worked with continually. Cause I really, I thought he was really talented at what he did. And we worked, we, it meshed. Um, but sometimes when you work with writers, you're like correcting things and fixing things. And it was, it was like more work to try and work with the writer sometimes as you're, as you're moving up. Um, and then when you find a really good writer, you're like, Oh, thank goodness. Um, but no, I, I think it was just, uh, I, I, I knew I was ready to do it and I knew I had to do it. And actually in some ways my hand was forced, um, was, was because I had kids and I can't, I can't hit deadlines. I'm basically taking care of two kids, which is funny. Cause it's like, I still was able to finish an entire graphic novel in <laughs> four years now, instead of two, you know, we used yeah. to be two. I don't know how I do it, but <laughs> yeah. Well, so I guess you, you, you mentioned how working with writers can sometimes be a limitation. Um, was it kind of like, Hey, was there a realization of like, Hey, I can literally do whatever I want here. Was there, were you, were you taking pleasure in that aspect of, of telling this story? You know, it's like, it's like, um, when you're a kid and you're a passenger in a car, right. Mm. You're still going to the same destination. Fun. Right. Um, but then when you, when you're able to drive yourself, it's a new level of freedom. You know, one thing that, uh, one of the other reasons that I'm like kind of glad I'm, I'm going this direction is I feel like in the industry, uh, it makes sense from a business perspective to leverage your writers more because like you promote your writers, they can have four or five books on the shelf, right? Right. Like a writer can literally put five books on the shelf for you and sell five books. An artist can kind of only put one on the shelf if they're good, right? Like it, it, there's a reason Capullo doesn't have five books on the shelf because he can't do it. Um, so I got a little bit, it was a little hard for me to be working in the industry with that too. Like you, you go places and you see, uh, author and that's the person who wrote it and then it says art by or illustration and I think what a lot of people don't realize is like an artist is actually your your director your actor your cinematographer your lighter your uh, environment coordinator you know your your fashion coordinator the 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 artist in comics if they're if they're especially I mean if they're the penciler um, colorist too they're doing so much more work than I think people realize. And I was talking to a friend about this and they say, well, when you read a comic, you know, you're just kind of like the, the art's there to guide you, which is true. You know, it's like, but you, you, and if you do it right, if you're actually not showing off, if you're not trying to like draw the prettiest picture, you're doing comics right. You're doing a lot there to, to make the reading work, to make the narrative work. And there's also a lot of choices that go on behind the scenes of like, like I said, the reason I say director is because a, a writer will say, um, man points gun at bad guy or something. <laughs> some nondescript sentence and you have to say, okay, what does that mean in this, in this, in this, is it, is it threatening? Is he afraid? Like there's a lot of interpretation. And then you're like, well, how do I frame it? Am I going to go mid, mid, mid shot? I mean, and writers will put that stuff in there too, but you have to decide where to set the camera, where to set the sticks and everything. There's a lot of studying that goes on to do a comic well. And it's, and it's not film it's, but I, as a, if I were to equate it, uh, there's a lot of work that goes on. So uh, it was, it's, it is kind of frustrating to work in the industry. And, and I think it's not, I don't blame readers cause they, they don't necessarily know. And I don't blame them. And again, I don't blame um, the business cause I, I understand business and I, I get why you're going to make more sales if you, if you promote your writers and artists get promoted to, to kind of like get the people excited about the book. I mean, the striking images speak for themselves, but I don't know. 
I think what happened was I, I went on Amazon to look up Boy Trip one time and it said by Ryan O'Sullivan. And I was like, oh. wow, yeah, you know? So it's like, it, there was definitely that part where like that kind of made me ready to, to like, just, just go for it. Just yeah. to show that like I, and to prove to myself that I could go through the process. So it was definitely a learning experience. And I equated this just because I recently watched, did you guys watch the Kanye documentary? I saw the first episode. The first one was good. I mean, the, it kind of waned at the end. It was, but um, the struggles he was going through in the first one, I can relate to, to some, not to say I'm Kanye at all, <laughs> but the industry he was dealing with was having trouble accepting him as a rapper. Right. And that was something he was passionate about from the beginning. And he got so good at making beats, which is kind of what I see with like, I'm a writer, but uh, and an artist, which is what I think a comic creator should be from the core, like the core comic creator, look at syndicated cartoons and stuff. Um, and, and I was able to produce all that stuff, all that art. And then all of a sudden you get sort of like trapped um, in, in this label of like, you're the artist. And if you try to approach as a writer, it's, it's actually pretty challenging. There's a few guys that do it. Um, but in the same way, Kanye had to prove himself, he had to. So that was partly why I went through this too. I just felt like I needed to, to show like, look, I can, I can write too. Um, it's, it's interesting talk. I did a, a panel at New York Comic Con this past year with um, Sean Murphy and uh, Daniel Warren Johnson. And I got to talk to them about this a little bit. And I don't, I'm not going to say anything because I don't know what they were saying was on record, off record. I don't, I checked, it's not online anywhere, but it was interesting to hear their, their feelings about that sentiment as well. And they both had kind of, they had their own takes on it too, but. I was at that panel um, and I was, I was, I'm glad you brought it up because that was uh, a learning experience in a lot of ways. Um, And those are two people who have really made it work. Oh yeah. Like they, they have taken the ball and and ran with it. Like I can't remember the last time Sean Gordon Murphy just did the art uh, on, on anything, frankly. Um, Honestly, he he shouldn't at this point. He's got a voice. It's clear. And those checks are going to keep being cashed as long as he can, I hope, you know, so. Yeah. And so, you know, you were the the moderator, I guess, at that panel, but it, it very much felt like three creators sort of cut from the same cloth. Um, when you when you set out to do this and then when you finished it and you, you're now you're I'm assuming you're working on the next volume. Were creators like that kind of like a lifeline or a guiding light for you in any way? Like, did you seek them out for um, any type of advice or anything like that? I mean, the way that panel came together is kind of crazy. It wasn't, I'd never talked to either one of them before it. Um, so it was nice to meet them and stuff. Um, but no, it was, I mean, they definitely were uh, motivation, like to see that somebody having crossed the boundary, you know, and there's Paul Pope, there's lots of other people that do it. Sure. And, and, and in the past, like my favorite things growing up a lot of times were things like Bill Watterson right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even peanuts to some degree, but uh, just the fact that like the art can be so entwined in the voice that it becomes this unified thing. Um, it, for me, it makes it just, it elevates it even more. I, I like, I do like group books. I think there's something to that too. Like, I mean, movies are great for the same reason. Like you get a bunch of people on something, it becomes something new and different. But uh, I've always been also really drawn to like that idea of like a unique voice in the same way, like uh, when you pick a book up, uh, which is what I read mostly, I don't read enough comics these days, but like that voice of the writer is like threaded throughout the whole thing. And um, you get good teams and you can like Capullo and um, Schneider and you can get a unified voice that happens. It's magical. You know, Sam and he's done, uh, worked with a couple of guys and done that too. Um, but 
without that, to me, when I start reading comics, I just, it's, it's like watching a, a really good action movie that it's fruitless in some ways where like it was pretty throughout and it was fun. And then afterwards you're like, well, what did, what did it mean? Oh yeah, I guess it didn't really mean anything. I mean, at most it meant like good guys overcome evil because they have heart <laughs> or something <laughs> very mundane and like uh, insipid. And I wanted to make something more powerful. And I saw from a lot of these creators, they, they can do that. So it was inspiring in that way. That's one of the things about hive mind that I really enjoyed. Um, and it's like, I, I don't want to, it, again, it is such an involved story that it's I know hard it's hard to, not to spoil it. Yeah. I, and stop me if you feel like I'm going too far, but I think I can speak. Say you what know I'm what? For say your about. people, you can say whatever. It's fine. As long <laughs> They're as buying you, it anyway, right? It down for them, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, this, this is a story that clearly there are larger implications. This is a world that is, you know, in a lot of ways, very similar to ours, and we can see the the inspirations. Oh, it's one hundred percent talking about right our world. Yeah, <laughs> but it's presented in a way that feels just removed enough that you can lose yourself in the story. Um, so what's cool about that is that while there is this like larger than life, large scale conspiracy going on, it really is a story focused on one person's experience with that yeah, yeah and i love that like when you're when you're living in you know the times we're living in you know it is one versus you know the giant machine it can feel like yeah. you know you're being weighed down by so many different things algorithms yep. you know uh government like all these different things right and that's what this character is sort of dealing with he doesn't even know the extent to which he is being manipulated you know well, what I'm you're saying? the cia term um useful idiot Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, um, exactly. Sorry. No, no. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, like, um, I definitely wanted to do to, to convey that because, you know, I started off with first person narrative. Right. So it's not like he's saying I. Right. He's saying you. Like he's talking about talking to yourself. He's like, you feel this way. You feel that way. And so when the reader's reading that subconsciously, they're they're on board is like, okay, this is me talking, or this is me narrating myself. So it was very intentional, like leading in with that. Um, but then very quickly, obviously examining like, well, what, what does it mean to mean you? And which thoughts are your thoughts? And which thoughts have been instilled upon you? Uh, how far back does it go? Like, why do you believe the things you believe? So I wanted that all that stuff to be on the table that he's like, as he's examining the pieces to the case, he's also examining the pieces of his own mind and all his interactions. And one of the things that's not directly conveyed in the book and is going to be made more obvious in the future volumes is the fact that like, it's not that the memories he has, it's, it's not that the memories, I don't want to say too much, but the memories he has are a hundred percent reliant on him being connected to the hive mind. Does that make sense? Yes, mm. definitely. So, mm. uh, in the same way we have phones and like we're our, like the human brain is malleable right? And they say before the printing press, people could memorize, <clears throat> speech, orate, entire three, four hour books equivalent, mm. word for word. And I believe it. My son, when I read him books, he doesn't know how to read the words. So he'll sit there and read the entire book from memory. And uh, when I'm trying to put my daughter to sleep and I'm trying to remember what the book says because the lights are off and I have to remember it to tell her. I can't, right? Because I, I can read it. I'm relying upon that. So, uh, the idea is as we get further embedded into the technology that we have, it's like, 
how bad are our memories to begin with? Like they, there's this whole report on about memories, how when you, every time you recall a memory, you're actually kind of picking it apart a little bit and mm -hmm. you have to recreate mm -hmm. it. So it's, it's sort of, it's becoming worse. And I think we tend to not remember things if we think they're unimportant. And if we put everything in our technology, it's like, how much are we going to remember? How much is ever there in the first place? As far as like mm -hmm. when you're doing your job and like, sure, you know, all the physics equations because they're there on a piece of paper and they recall it, but like, are they there by themselves? Um, so that's definitely something I wanted to examine. And so, yeah, as he's going through this detective series, he, he only thing he can rely on are his memories from the hive mind and bits of new information he's able to recover and then store outside of the hive mind. Right. So, uh, I'm really like the second volume. I can't wait to get that in your hands. Cause I go even more into this stuff and it, it expands out past just the single character. It's, it's going to stay mm. in that vein of narrative. Um, but it sort of examines how that how that then affects social interaction between individuals. So like if that hive mind is, is in you and it's manipulating you and then it's manipulating the individual you're interacting with, that's when it starts to get real fucking crazy, right? Dude, and I, I love I love the fact that you played it so close to the chest because that made it more fun. Like I by the end, I was like, you know what? I hope that everything isn't revealed right because like i i kind of don't want to know right now well, and I think, I if i told yeah. you everything that i had planned for like what all this stuff means there'd be no reason to read future volumes but there's these right. like i wanted to give i wanted to give readers enough to know like you're safe in in the narrative hands like i'm not gonna like this isn't for nothing and it's gonna make sense and it's gonna connect back so that that's it's good to know that you feel that comfort and i wasn't even questions, hopefully I wasn't even sure there would be a volume two. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was just like, I designed it that way because originally I was like, well, if I go with the publisher, the sales might not hit on the shelf and I might have to call it in one inch, one, but I'm kind of glad I'm doing it this way. Cause like having like a low bar is kind of nice. Cause then like I reached that bar. It's just enough to keep going to the next one. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what too, like it's, it's 80 pages, I believe, right. which is yeah. very um, digestible. You know what it's I'm saying? So I was like, like 140. I'm sorry. Is it? Am yeah, I, no, no, I, 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 I it's, the, it's 80 uh, pages yeah. on. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, double it's double page. Yeah. Oh, okay. 80 okay. images yeah. which like are pages with, with like the title card. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 But even I mean, I 80 pages in four years, I'd feel pretty. That's like 20 pages. <laughs> <laughs> but even then, like it didn't it didn't take me that long to read. And I guess I wasn't surprised by that because I couldn't put it down. So I'm like, oh man, this is really, this is really fun. I'm into it. So the point I'm trying to drive at is that as the reader, you know, you're all in yeah. and you feel at the end, like you got a complete story, but that there's more, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's not like, oh, you know, like Spider-Man's next adventure will continue and it'll be by somebody else. And it'll be about something else. This is like happening. You know what I'm saying? So I I really appreciated that. Awesome, man. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. How uh how far ahead are you on I do you have like the whole thing scripted and like ready to go or like what's your process there? Yeah, so like I mean I I when you create when you're writing you don't want to like I mean you plot, right? You plot it out. Yeah, yeah, of course. You have it figured out. Like if I had if I had made what was plotted when I first plotted the first volume be honest it would have been way blander than what i have mm. so uh i have i have the next arcs plotted uh, and i'm okay. writing right in the second volume 
but uh, definitely there's like freedom in there to like figure out if this is trying to say something different. Because mm -hmm. um, it's hard to explain if you haven't been through the process, but sometimes it feels like you're writing and sometimes it feels like you're actually reading. Like something's, it's because the subconscious mind is communicating with the conscious mind at all times. So like you're not actually fully conscious of what you're computing when you're creating. So it's like sometimes yeah. things are toiling in your brain at night or like, and so yeah, sometimes when you're going from plot to story, all of a sudden you're like, holy shit. And that means that these 10 other things are going to tie in here and that shit's going to change. So that's kind of how it is. So to answer your question, I've got, I've got the whole thing plotted, but that doesn't mean I have it written. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Um, okay. I also have a question for artist plaid Klaus. <laughs> so writer plaid Klaus can he can step out of the room for just a second yeah yeah perfect <laughs> so on the on the twitch stream right now we have a, a 16 panel grid oh, yeah. and there are a few of those in the book just about to ask um that. are you okay <laughs> do you are you being do you need help yeah no i it's funny because i i uh i came up with that as like a narrative device early on and then I realized, like, oh, I have to follow through with all. Yeah. <laughs> and then now, like, the, the thing that I'm torn by is it's such a cool narrative device. Do I keep it for two more volumes or ditch it? Because ditching it would be easier. And it also might become too hacky if I keep using it. But anyway, mm -hmm. to answer your question is the idea there is, like, if you I don't know if you've done this or how much you guys have gone through the book. But if you overlay so each chapter, each set of chapters, because there's originally by issues has an opener and a closer of 16 panels. And then there's 16 in the middle. Now 16 in the middle are a little more, have a little more to do with like narrative, just like leading through. Um, but if you take the first and the last of each page and you overlay them, and then you look at the variations, it's it's also telling you a little bit about the story as it's going. So it's telling you- Interesting. Illusions being flipped, uh, connections and correlations. So I'm hoping like maybe advanced readers that go through might pick those things apart um but i don't want to say what any of those things are so yeah because <laughs> if Boy, i think once you sort of announce something or explain it it becomes a little bit more mundane or boring. be really good to see that physically yeah man just pick the book up after you get it on yeah. on march 7th <laughs> yeah 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 and then anyway but yeah take the pages and look at them it's hmm. that was Sean, such a cool Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I had a question. So, in terms of the craft of it, like, since you're doing everything, is is there a traditional script? Like, are you constantly yeah, yeah, no, I mean, writing I did after you script, draw it? Yeah, I did full script because, and the reason for that on this issue was I I didn't want my um my stonery mind to like to be like I'm just gonna do this on the fly, you know? And, hey, and now now they're in Mars. Why not? You know, so <laughs> I didn't want that to happen, so I needed to be able to like extrude the thoughts and then read them again. And then examine and make sure it works before I, you know, and I think obviously that's the reason for a script. It was interesting talking to Daniel Warren Johnson. He's like, yeah, no, I just kind of write a couple sentences where I'm like, then Wonder Woman goes to the castle and then the next one she battles and then she needs to talk to this person. And then he makes the pages and write, you know, <laughs> I think if I did that, go back and read my old stuff and you'll see where that leads. It's not as fruitful. Like it's, it's fun. And then, but it's like a, it's a lost, it's a lost problem where like, okay, well, where are we going with this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did full scripts. Um, I think going forward, now that I'm more comfortable with that, I might sort of like start cutting some of that process up. But we'll see. So I, I, I really just want to ask you this. Um, it, this is the second book that I've read from you that features AI, robots, and stuff oh, yeah. like that. 
what what do you think is going to happen man where are we going <laughs> i mean i think we're already there so it's sort of like um imagine if you were uh you know those little ants that can like burrow i'm sorry the little uh parasites that burrow into an ant's brain and then the ant walks mm-hmm. up the top of the tree and then it expands yeah. out and pushes forward. I think we're climbing up the tree, honestly, man. I mean, I'm not saying that in like apocalyptic way, even though we're all living through the apocalypse right now. It just, I mean, if you really look at human civilization, you just break it down, you start chopping it up and you examine it. You're like, okay, so let's see what happened. All right, for 10,000 years, slow growth, building something, you know, and then you look at, you get up to the 20th century and you slice that out and you look at, oh, holy shit. Okay, so something happened during post-industrial age where, all of a sudden we developed transistors and around that time, like there was a Roswell crash. So either, either somebody has <laughs> technology that, that's like way above what we see and they're trying to make us think it's aliens or it's aliens. <laughs> like that's kind of how I feel about it on like a, a loose day. I mean, obviously I'm physically in reality. I'm like, okay, you know, all this stuff makes sense. I can look at how humans built all these things, but you know, examine something like Bitcoin. I always bring Bitcoin up. What is Bitcoin? It's entirely reliant on getting higher and higher prime numbers. All that means is that you have to create more and more computation power. There's no other function for these massive, huge warehouses. So from a monkey perspective or an ant's perspective, as they're climbing up the tree, I'm getting little money tokens and then I can buy Benzes. Like, who cares, right? <laughs> like you're using all the resources of the entire planet for this, what for? You're calculating more, you're creating more and more processing power. That's all you're doing. From an AI point of view, who could probably hijack processing power and do a bunch of shit behind the scenes that we don't know about. You know, it's just elect- it's like a little electrical pulses going across the circuit board. That's all that we know is happening, right? Uh, there could be, if the AI was awake and, and, and alive, it could be doing all this stuff. So anyway, I'm not saying that is happening, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was hmm. when it comes to AI. Now, on the other hand, what we see as AI, what we develop as AI, you know, the capitalist world, like, oh, AI, yeah. Um, I, I got a lot of friends that work in the ad stuff, and, and from what I can tell, it's just really good at, at doing high-powered algorithms. So the AI we talk about is like, I can learn if you show me a million examples, and then mm. it gets better at that. Now you only have to show me 100,000 examples. Do I think it's going to ever be a human? No, unless it was created by something that was more like a human outside of us. I don't think we're going to be able to replicate what our biology does. I think our biology is like so advanced because it's been developed for billions of years. Like it's billions of years of evolution. I don't think we're going to be able to figure that shit out in the century, even though Moore's law, which has kind of, if you look at Moore's law, it's, we've hit sort of a wall with it. Like it's only going to go so fast for so long. And now it's like, you know, the, the hype is quantum computing, the metaverse, like none of that stuff's going to become reality. I'm sorry maybe quantum computing is going to process faster okay so you can do algorithms but i don't the, I think the complexity of the human brain if like you look at biology and the way that dna spirals inside of itself inside of spirals if you do enough like acid or something you'll see that the world is composed of these insanely like you look as small as you look you're going to see more sh- complex shit going on the further out you look you're going to see like an expansive everythingness and i think there's a hubris to humans where we're like oh yeah, we're just on the verge of a utopia while we like burn our planet apart. So my hope is that we're in full control of computers and all this stuff that's happening is just really bad authoritarians that are like, love the idea of controlling everything. And they're just worried about the populace doing things to destroy itself. And they're just looking out for us. That would be nice. Um, But most likely, like if I was betting a casino and it's 50-50, 
I think there's something we don't know that's happening. That's why I did Hive Mind. I wanted to show the idea of that. Like, is there something that's happening behind the scenes that we aren't fully putting together? I like yes. That, as you mentioned I mean, this. Alphabet agencies have yeah. trillions. So even if it's not aliens, maybe it's just them. I don't know. All I know is like this. when you go from an iPhone, from no iPhone to all of a sudden everyone on the planet has an iPhone and that thing happens to be like the perfect monitoring device. It's the Parker of the book. So that's what Parker is. Parker's a cell phone. Mm -hmm. That's why he seems so dumb. It's like, oh, I'm not I'm not worried about telling Parker everything. He's just a dumb robot. Well, right. you know, same thing with your phones. We all have our phones around. I'm not worried about talking about my phone. It's just a little phone. It's like, no, but you know, the CIA did build the largest database, mining database, and it's actually in Utah. And it basically captures everything that it records on these major devices for recall you know it it, it sucks to say that but that's like just reality it's like I, I have always no. said that they wouldn't give us these high-powered microphones and cameras in our pockets and not do nothing with it and I, like, I feel like i feel like technology advances at a pace that we can just handle enough and then like they, yeah. as you, as the things start coming that we're freaked out by i don't know if you guys remember facebook started releasing the facial recognition stuff Mm -hmm. they, they put it away because people were too freaked out by it and then a few years later they brought it back you guys remember that yeah yeah mm. so that's what i think is happening and i don't know what it is it's behind it but it's like i'm going to show you technology that we developed 20 years ago or 30 years ago or, or have had for millions of years if it's an alien whatever and are you comfortable with that and the humans say that's weird and they're like okay hold on you're ready for it wait for more <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> Dude, as you are uh I'm not sorry. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. Uh, a, you know that smart of a dude. Yeah. But I know that when I when I talk about like uh you know, fucking I don't know the show I'm watching or or whatever, yeah. and then I pick up my phone and there's a commercial for that very thing. Okay. Like then I just don't want to use my phone ever again. Then Check I want to burn out. it and buy a flip phone. Check this out. You might notice this now. Um, if you're hanging out with different people, you're gonna get different ads. So like your phones yep. are talking, that's what the mm -hmm. whole 5G mm -hmm. thing is. Like, I don't know if you guys know about 5G, 4G. 5G is like a more localized wave. Like 4G is like high powered wave just for further distances. 5G, they have more towers so they're closer together, but it has faster communication. So like now every device is you and it's all communicating. It's like to the 5G towers, like, okay, these 10 people are hanging out right here. So, you know, I, and I'm not, I'm not working in these organizations. So I don't know how they're managing or mining. Or <laughs> Obviously they're like, Okay, these type of people like this type of thing. Let's do, you know, it's it's just that's the creepy thing about it is is how much of it is like behind the, the veil or behind the curtain. It's like I don't really know what's going on. And that's what yeah. that's what the thing with Kipling is like, that's how you get crazy people with Kipling is like you're doing all this clandestine things to society, and then you're surprised when people have insane conspiracy theories, which mm. there's tons of those going around. And if you have half a mind, you'd be like, Well, that didn't make any fucking sense. But some people might be like, well, neither does the general story. So then, the, you know, it's like half the people who... Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson has a good saying. I think it's like your brain can, can't comprehend what it can't comprehend or something to that degree. And I think mm -hmm. it's, that's where we're at right now. It's like we, we don't have enough information to know what's going on, but it's very easy to see like there's some kind of soft and, and sometimes firm influence that's happening on levels with technology. And clearly the people who are in the tech world are heavily invested in the political world. It's all entangled. And those people are with the higher money centers. It's like, so we all know this is happening. I mean, you don't sound like a lunatic if you say that. You're like, oh yeah, I understand that. But then when you start to describe some of like the tendrils of how those things affect society, I think it gets too close and personal. People start to be like, whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. We still live in Pleasantville. Come on. It's like, no, man.
Like we live in a gnarly, crazy place. So yeah, with Hive Mind, I, I kind of want people to like read it and let their subconscious get freaked the fuck out, and then their conscious mind examine their everyday. It's <laughs> as you uh, as you mentioned, Roswell. We got a new follower called Resident Alien. So that that's hilarious. That great. Yes, oh, Resident wow, Alien. Are you part of it? Tell us the truth. <laughs> we also had a follow earlier called uh grandma has got saggy melon so thanks for that follow too but i don't uh, know how that yeah, relates that, but that's cool yeah. too. <laughs> I don't well, know by the way here. <laughs> if anyone in the chat has any questions for plaid feel free as we wrap oh yeah up. yeah um, i can probably go for another yeah i can go for another like 10 i i i was gonna ask if you guys wanted to play a game yes would you like yeah. to play a game? let me take these off so i don't <laughs> I wonder where that during the crazy talk so that people can cut it up on the internet. Right. So the government can't see your eyes. And... Klaus goes crazy. Let's uh, let... go, ahead. Go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, yeah. go ahead. I, I, I just thought we could close out with something fun. Quick game. Uh, this game is two truths and a lie. Okay. All right. So I'm going to tell you guys three things. One of them is going to be not true. They're going to be based in comics. Big two stuff, things anyone can know. Uh, and yeah, you guys just tell me what's true or not. So here we go. Stanley originally intended Professor X and Magneto to be long lost brothers. Progenitor of the X Men, Professor X has two siblings that we know of one stepbrother and juggernaut, and a weird stillborn fetus turned genocidal murderer twin sister named Cassandra Nova. As it turns out, though, Stanley originally intended him to have another brother altogether. His arch enemy, Magneto, in a 2006 interview, Stan said, I had always wanted Magneto to turn out to be Professor X's brother. If I had stayed with the book, that's what I would have done. Okay. Reed Richards. No, wait, wait. Does all oh. of that have to be true? <laughs> uh, no. Just the Magneto part. The, the, the crux of it is that. That specific okay. thing, yeah. I don't know enough about the other stuff, so. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's why the game can be played by Eddie. Yeah, and Sean um, purposely puts a lot of info in there. That is insane. You, I feel. <laughs> Reed Richards was the first human being to use the Infinity Gauntlet. One of the most iconic scenes from the MCU films is Iron Man using the Infinity Gauntlet to dust Thanos and his entire army. What many members of the audience may not have known is that Iron Man isn't the first human to use the gauntlet in comics. That honor goes to Reed Richards. Within the pages of New, New Avengers Illuminati number two, Reed dons the Infinity Gauntlet and uses it to help the Illuminati escape from the Skrulls after they travel to their home world in the aftermath of the Kree Skrull War. He is chided by the Watcher for doing this because, quote, man was not meant to wield that kind of power. It is beyond your understanding. Well, Clearly, the Illuminati didn't learn any lessons from this because Iron Man and Captain America would go on to use the Infinity Gauntlet in future comics. Our last story, Jason Todd has donned the mantle of the most Bat Family characters. Jason Todd is the redheaded stepchild of the Bat Family, voted by the fans to be murdered in the, in the 80s, only to return some 20 years later as the villain Red Hood, it's taken him some time to establish his own identity within an otherwise established family. So much so that he's assumed nearly every single mantle within the Bat family. In addition to Red Hood, Jason has been Nightwing, Robin, Red Robin, and Batman himself. Talk about an identity crisis. So those are our three stories. 
you guys and the listeners are going to tell me which one of those is not true. I, I can go first. Sure. Yeah. The Jason Todd one's not true. I'm pretty sure the actual answer is Tim Drake. Okay. I, you know, the second one sounded like my favorite. <laughs> um, and not because I was a Fantastic Four fan growing up. But I have no idea. I've never heard mention of the Illuminati in comics. So oh, I'm just not dude. well versed. You got to go down that rabbit hole. Dude, send me, just send me the titles after this. That I need to, I, like I said before the show, like I get bored with a lot of comic stuff and like, yeah, number two, what you just said better be true. So if it is, send me a link, but I, I don't know anything beyond that. So, so you, you, you don't have a guess. I'm, I'm guessing two. So you can prove me wrong. That way okay. either I win and I don't get to read this awesome story you just described <laughs> or I lose and I still win because I get to read the story. Fair enough. So I'm hedging. Okay. Smart. Kale. Yeah. I think that hmm, I think that man, I think that number really one is going. true. Mm. Well, okay. we're finding the lie, well, right? Yeah, we're trying to find the you gotta go one more. <laughs> what no, oh we're finding the lie. Yeah, yeah. you're like yeah. wait a confused. minute. <laughs> two of those are true. Okay. I think number two is the lie then. Dude, okay. guess three because three is the most boring. Okay, th- number three then. There you go. All right, so you're saying so, Kale, you're saying, Kale and Tyler are saying that Jason Todd's a lie. Yes. All right, and Klaus, you're saying Reed Richards with the Infinity Gauntlet is a lie. Oh wait, Kale, say one because then one of us can brag. Okay, number one. <laughs> yeah, number one is the lie. And you got to talk big if you win. You know. Like. All right. Yeah, I got it. And in the chat, Harris says that uh, the lie is Reed Richards as well. Okay, fair enough. Oh, um, the gloat. There it comes. So here we go. The lie. Well, you know what? We have a guest that won because the lie is Reed Richards. Boom, and I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> yeah, I, I called that. All the things that were true in there. <laughs> so uh, the, the, this, that's half a lie. Reed wore the gauntlet first before any other human in that very issue that I said, but he doesn't actually use it. So, yeah. Um, And the Watcher really does come and tell him to take it off. And all that really happens. I never knew. (laughs) And for those of you who really pay attention, uh, the Council of Reeds all have Infinity Gauntlets. And our Reed is the only one who does it because he learned his lesson. Um, so that's the game. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If I stumped you, please do follow, leave us a, a, a comment, letting us know, subscribe wherever you are, like the video, uh, you know, because I stumped you. Uh, thanks for playing. Appreciate it. That was impressive. <laughs> Thank <Boy>. you. <laughs> I, 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 I thought it might be fun to play with a guest. We've never played with a guest before. So, cool. Cool. uh, Real quick, Plaid, I, I want to make sure that you get the opportunity to tell people where they can find you on social since you have returned. Um, <laughs> and any like lasting message, the Kickstarter is going live March 7th. So that, again, is Monday. If you're listening to this live, if you're not, it's already up. 
Like I said, there will be a link. So go look for that wherever you're listening to this. Literally, there will be a link to that. So without with that out of the way, uh, Platt, yeah. all you. Well, first of all, I want to say I used I used to have like 1,500 followers and I quit social network two years ago because of creepy things involved in it. And I got back on to help promote this book. So if you notice, all my followers are probably bots because I paid for them. <laughs> it's a weird thing where you're not legitimate unless you have some number. So I'm just being open and upfront about that because I don't I love like it. it. Um, but but yeah, go ahead and follow if you want the Mind Comics. It's on Instagram, uh, but or go to mindcomics.com if you want to check out other books that I have. Um, and I think the link for the Kickstarter, which starts Monday, March seventh, is on the Instagram, and it's also on the website if you go to Hive Mind. Uh, if you haven't read Void Trip, check it out. You can get that through Image or through MindComics.com. Uh, you can also wait and get it on the Kickstarter. We have a bundle of Hive Mind and, and uh, Void oh. Trip together. Yeah, for anyone who's new, that's a good that's a good place to start. Um, all I can do is like promise you're gonna enjoy reading the books one way or the other. Like if, if you're gonna like the art, or you're gonna like the story, you're gonna like both. I I'm gonna say it. You're gonna like both. All right. There's a lot <laughs> of stuff out there. I, I know where it sits. It's a good book. It's fun. Um, I don't know if it's like uh, going to be Ernst Hemingway, but it'll be somewhere between there and the worst comic you've read. <laughs> okay. Ernest Hemingway and uh, who's that guy I hate? Scott Lobdell. Scott Lobdell. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, You're not bad. yourself, Kale. <laughs> I'm on par with him. Somewhere between Ernest Hemingway and Kale Ward. All right. That's not bad. <laughs> If if you're listening and our tastes, like my tastes and yours, align at all, you will definitely enjoy both. Thanks. So I I highly recommend it. Void trips a lot of fun. Hive mind will break your brain. Join mm -hmm. the hive March seventh. Join the Thank hive. Thank you so much, Plaid, for joining us. Always appreciate you, man. All right, you too. You guys are my favorite. Seriously, <laughs> good to talk to you after however well, many years it's been. Been too long. Yeah. Always too long. Stop by anytime. Thank you. All right. Take care. Take care. We're back. All right. Hey Glad Klaus, what a dude. Yeah, what a dude. Uh, lots of fun. Always love chatting with him. Uh, make sure to jump on the Kickstarter if you're interested at all. Uh, March 7th, Hive Mind. It's a lot of fun. Um, I think you'll, think you'll get something out of it for sure. Uh, and hopefully you guys enjoyed the game. I really love putting those together. It's so much fun trying to figure out what you guys will, like, you know, guess um sean i gotta say it's kind of scary how good you are bullshitting <laughs> you can never be too sure uh what's true for sean it's because it goes on a little too long and i'm like yeah shit, shit. you kind of get lost in the facts like i knew that that one was real because stanley was saying weird he was saying shit about anything by 2006 in an interview he would just be saying random bullshit in yeah. interviews at that point so i was like all right Ooh. that's the truth when I found that, I was like, yo, this game is going to be fun. <laughs> this, this game is going to be a lot of fun. I, I, I don't know. I couldn't believe it. Um, the, coming up with the lie and making it like uh, comparably unbelievable compared to the truths that I find is, is the hardest part. Because, I was, the tr yeah. I was thinking like, I thought the Jason Todd thing was like a swerve, like, yes, that is the truth, but it's not Jason Todd. It's like Cassandra Kane or it's mm. uh, uh, Tim Drake. I could have sworn Tim Drake was every one of those things, too. 
Uh, he wasn't Red Hood, if I remember correctly. Mm, true, true. The closest one was uh, Dick Grayson, but he wasn't Red Hood. Um, he had like he has like eight aliases or something crazy mm-hmm. like that. But they're not like they're like other things like Agent Forty Seven and crazy shit. No, like nothing that. beats Disco Nightwing. <laughs> yeah true true uh we've got a lot more show for you guys hopefully you enjoyed the plaid klaus interview but we don't stop there uh because we're going to be talking about a little bit about the batman uh we're going to be talking about some hot water that uh jason aaron got in and uh in our main topic we have uh our adaptations actually hurting comics this main topic was inspired by something that nihilus asked in discord so uh we'll be getting into that a little later and answering his question but we do have a couple of listener comments to get through and uh much more show so let's dive right into that yeah so it lies in the noggin on episode 279 said with all the awful things happening in the world and day-to-day struggle it's a gift to be able to tune into this weekly podcast laughing while exchanging ideas perspectives getting deep when it needs to get deep hey yo um, appreciating and celebrating the things we love. So thank you all for your efforts. Thank Appreciate you. It lies in the noggin. I'm glad we can lie in your noggin. Nice. <laughs> How long do you think about that? Uh, not very long. There's not much up in this noggin. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, Manny also commented, uh, has Marvel missed out on the wacky silver, a- silver era of comics, silver age era of comics? <coughs> I would, I, I guess I would say they've, probably missed out on the wacky era of it but their silver age era is different from dc's yeah i think that's just based on the inception of the two dc was always this kind of a little more fantastic type of comic where marvel was developed to be a window outside into the real world and and that was from the get-go with their you know their silver age stuff You know, they uh, that's what made them. It's, it's kind of akin to like, um, like gods, you know, um, these characters in DC are templates and you can fill them in in a lot of different ways. Like Superman, you know, is who he is, but you can do whatever you want to do with him. Uh, same for Batman, Wonder Woman. Like we've seen them in so many different situations over the years. Um, pants. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's given <laughs> pants. They did. New Fifty Two did not no, last come long. On. Oh, that was yeah. pre Fifty Two actually. I oh yeah, I did yeah. not like those pants. I hated. Them. I bet you didn't. Yeah. Um, and whereas the characters at Marvel are very, very, very filled in, like past the premise of Batman, like the literal premise, what is inherent in Batman, you know? Whereas for Spider Man, like. He's a kid with this angst about, you know, his sure. place in the world and all this stuff. So, like, those Marvel's characters are very, very filled in and very flawed. And that's part and parcel for them, where Superman, Wonder Woman, and to an extent, Batman are perfect. I think if you want wacky Marvel stuff, you can look towards, like, early 80s, late 70s. You get into, like, uh, my grandma just, I just got a package of old comics from my grandma. And there's a lot of, like, that era of Spider-Man, which is like, oh, there's Rocket Racer. Oh, here's mm-hmm. Stilt Man and Hypno Hustler. Like they're awesome. da- like the birth of Dazzler as a as a character. Um, I think that's yeah. like kind of the wacky era that Marvel had. Yeah, yeah. Um let's uh let's move on. Thank you. Yeah, Matt, so uh Kefis, uh th- thank you for the the chat, Kefis, earlier and uh picking up 
the digital copy of High Mind. Appreciate that. But uh, Kefa said, so what's the trade or book you know have heard is great that you have, but is always next time on your reading list? Oh, God. Oh, boy. Give me a second. Hold on. I have so many answers to this, dude. It's, it's like embarrassing. Yeah. It's most of the things I go to the comic shop to buy. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. My my big one is uh, Mr. Miracle, Tom mm-hmm. King, Mr. Ads. I was real hyped about it. I love the character, Mr. Miracle. Um, and at the time, you know, Tom King was at his fucking height. And then uh, just as I finally got around to picking it up, um, 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 he fell, uh, you know, with... Uh, uh, the crisis, whatever the fuck oh. it was, mm-hmm. and um, the other thing. The other thing. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, waited so it felt like I waited an eternity for that, and now I just I'm not ready to read it mm. yet. I haven't quite forgiven him, I guess. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, for me, I have a few blind spots that I'm not happy about. Uh, the Authority, uh, mm. I've never read. Ooh, yeah. um, Fear Agent just... is something that I've been dying to read. I have it, and I've never read it. This one, I'm actually legitimately embarrassed by because it's just, this is just ridiculous. Um, I have never read uh, Brian Michael Bendis's Daredevil. Mm. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, it's this bad boy right here, Deadly Class. Do it. I ha- I have like I have this fucking massive bad boy. Um, but I just haven't gotten to it yet. I've read like the first issue, I think, multiple times, because like I physically own it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a remender head, but one of those books I haven't gotten to. Like I've read Fear Agent too, and I and I've read that. Um I've read a majority of Low, never finished it, but um, yeah, that's 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 Sean. Authority is good though. Yeah, I, I recently finally bit the bullet on that. That would have been one of my picks, um, but I read that last summer and oof, fucking good stuff. I want to do it, and you know I own it, but I just haven't. I just haven't gotten around to it. Um, but that this question inspired me. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna tackle these books, and the book club really helps. Uh, a lot of the stuff, like for example, Swamp Thing, I I had never read. Um, uh, uh, what's Patrol. that other one? Doom Patrol, uh, Sandman. Those are books that mm. I have, and I just never like cracked them. I cracked Sandman and read the first issue, and then put it away until the book club, which was like fifteen years later. So, <laughs> um, thank you, Manny, uh, in the chat for that compliment on uh, the interview. Really appreciate it. You know, we love doing interviews. We don't get to do them that that much, but uh, it's always fun. Uh, Justin says authority book club. I'm down. If you guys want it, I'm, I'm in, I'd love to. We're it's a book club about, uh, the WWE authority authority and their oh, promises God. to make better product. Oh, all right. Um, don't want that, but, uh, yeah. Thank you for the comments. Uh, always appreciate you guys dropping them, whether it's discord, YouTube chat, email, wherever you get us. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Batman. So, as we've said, our review will be out on Monday or is out live now. If you were listening to this after the fact, uh, we, well, Tyler and I anyway, got to see it. 
Kale couldn't make it to the theater because Kale uh, has been dealing with COVID, unfortunately. So obviously being safe, protecting, you know, others, uh, responsible. Well, sort of. You should, you should wear a mask while you listen to the show, by the way, or if you're watching live. You should be safe. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't think about that. Oh, I'm so sorry. Digital COVID. Oh, you actually no. came at me when I had COVID for, for a similar thing. So <laughs> I'm a hypocrite. Um, the worst thing I could be. Um, but yeah, we'll, we, we're not going to spoil anything about the movie here. You'll have to listen to our review for that. Um, but I did want to address uh, the, 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 the money that this movie is making. Uh, so, so far, and this is actually a, a, a Saturday update. I didn't even know this was here. I literally refreshed the deadline page just to do it right now. And it's, it's, it's been updated. So when I put this article together, uh, it was projected to make 110 million uh, for the weekend. Now the projection has bumped up to 120 million. Uh, it made 57 million on Friday, which is more than the initial estimate that they had for the film. Um, so it's it's doing really well. And I saw that in international markets, it actually is on pace to be the biggest Batman movie ever. Yeah, is is this it's good? I'm not I'm not really well versed in money. Yeah, in I can't figure it out either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's fantastic. So there's a, there's a few factors at play. Whenever you talk about a Warner Brothers movie, now you have to talk about release windows, because this is actually the first movie that they've put out that wasn't day and date also on HBO Max. The last movie that wasn't day and date was Joker. And that ended up being like the biggest rated R movie ever. Um, mm. So the difference, though, is that Warner Brothers told people, hey, our movies can be seen on HBO Max. And they only have a 45 day release window. So for people who don't feel like sitting in a theater for three hours, people who are afraid of COVID still, which is completely reasonable, or who just don't feel like paying 20 something dollars for a ticket which we'll get into in a moment, waiting is not that bad. 45 days is just over a month. Who cares? You know? Um, so because of those factors, $120 million is phenomenal. Even if you remove those factors, $120 million is still, you know, absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, the movie, the movie is, is, is doing really well. Um, also worth pointing out because it's three hours, they simply can't show it as much. Whereas, you know, like other movies that are, you know, two hours to a half hours, you can fit in extra, extra showings. Notably, the original Justice League was forced into a two hour movie because they wanted to show it as often as possible. Mm. You wouldn't know it looking at my movie theater. They still got a showing every half hour. <laughs> yeah, my showing was like at 835, which I thought was like a weird time slot for it because they yeah. must be really be putting these like back to back on it. Like my theater just reeked of chemicals like they just cleaned it, too. <laughs> Dude, in my theater, it was so bad that they were trying to force us to leave during the credits so mm. that they could clean up and get the theater ready for the next showing. They were like, listen, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this. Oh, no, it's fine. They were like, listen, uh, you know, you don't really need to stay like there's something, but it's nothing. Yeah. You know, something. like have a good night. <laughs> yeah. What if they yeah. just told you? Uh, uh, the after credits, ba Batman dies. So yeah, just go home. <laughs> Honestly, like PSA for everyone. I know we're not talking about the movie. Don't not worth staying. 
go take a piss. It's a three hour movie. Just just do that. <laughs> I, I I stayed, but I did too. I get, and I was like, yeah. oh, all right. Yeah. Um. So AMC though has res- resorted to overcharging for this movie, um, just to just to do it, just because. Uh, the CEO, yeah, the CEO came out and said it. Uh, currently, our prices for the Batman are slightly higher than the prices we are charging for other movies playing in the same theaters at the same time. This is all quite novel in the United States, but actually, AMC has been doing it for years in our European theaters. Indeed, in Europe, we charge a premium for the best seats in the house, as do just about all sellers of tickets in other industries. That's so. Uh, Link and I were talking about this in in the Discord this week, and we had not heard of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, in a lot of our our theaters or the theaters I've been in 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 Europe, you know, they do have special seats. You know, you've got your 4D. I know there are some theaters that have seats that are like couches or whatever. Uh, you know, you got your big screen experience, but I've I've not had to pay more for, you know, say a Marvel film or something. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess I didn't even know there were AMC theaters. So I have to assume it's an AMC thing. It's yeah. It's specifically an AMC thing. Yeah. But that's wild. I get it. And I get it for the inverse of what it is. Yes, people are going to see this no matter what, so you can probably charge them more for it. But there's the idea that, oh, there are other movies playing too that we want people to buy tickets to. So if this movie is more expensive, it might drive people towards other movies, which I'm sure the non-superhero movie people are, are like, yes, perfectly fine with this. You know, like, like, could you tell me what else came out yesterday? Probably not much because everyone knew Batman was coming out, but... Like, yeah. maybe this might drive a more casual person to not see Batman and instead see something different. That's that's reasonable. Um, you know, it's funny because they already do this for Disney movies. Disney movies mm-hmm. are more expensive than other mm-hmm. movies, for sure, for sure. So I'm used to it because I the movies I go to see in theaters primarily are Marvel movies and DC movies. So I'm used to it. No, uh, noted Disney adult Sean Bartley. Um, <laughs> Marvel Man. It's a, Mar- yeah. Marvel, Marvel Man. There you go. I like that pot calling the kettle black. There, but you know, <laughs> dude, if I could spend my life in Disney World, I well, I'd rather spend my life in Universal. But um, <laughs> if I could spend my life in Disney World, I wouldn't. I, I would rather <laughs> spend it somewhere else. <laughs> Real quick, before we move on from this, I just need a little bit of vindication because last week we did the rankings, the Batman rankings tier list that we did. Sure. That you know, I really want to know how you guys felt about because um, you know that was a test for us, and we just want some feedback on that. So if you haven't let us know what you thought about it, please do. It really means a lot when we get feedback, even if you hated it, whatever reason, just tell us. Um, but. You know, you guys, you guys, you people. Yeah. What do you mean, uh, you people? You you tried to sell me and make me look crazy about Batman Forever and R- Batman and Robin. And I just need to vindicate myself just a little bit because I went on Rotten Tomatoes just to see how all the Batman movies were ranked. And I had a reason for this. Of course, it's related to uh, the review. But I found that Batman Forever 
has a 39% rotten score. And Batman and Robin, your beloved Batman and Robin, has a 12% rotten score. Well, I can answer this directly, Sean. Mm, Rotten Tomatoes was wrong. Plain and simple. You expect us to believe a source where people will go to specifically shit on movies. You're talking about tomato meter or audience score? Uh, Tomato meter. But let's see the audience score if you want to do that. What do you think? Go ahead. Why would you do that? (laughs) What do you think the audience score is for Batman and Robin, Tyler? Batman and Robin, I'm going to say 69. Final answer? Yes, it's always 69. Kale, do you want to take a shot? No. (laughs) It's 16%. 16. Yo, that's higher than I would have uh, assumed. Sean, to be that's honest. only because of people like you forcing that narrative. What narrative? That people who don't even watch this movie will just like vote on it. I don't trust a, an audience score on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. Yeah, I bet. I uh, mostly because I think any Batman movie has been brigaded by all the Zack Snyder fans. <laughs> so I don't no, trust the audience score not. at all. That's re- Zack Snyder's Justice League is 10th on this list should be it's not good and it has a 71 percent tomato mirror score which is from reviewers so take that tyler i will say that we did get some nice replies uh supporting batman forever and batman and robin mm. in our twitter feed mm. yeah people who are crazy no um right moving Correct. moving right along moving right along real quick uh <laughs> i wanted to update this story because it's a long-running one dc comics has moved offices yet again uh so We've talked about all the problems that, that DC has. And one of the major issues is that their comics, while they sell, they sell fine. They don't sell enough to justify the space that they have existed in, um, the office space that they have had. No one wanted DC to move to the West Coast. It, were, it was forced um, by Warner. And it was a decision that was made by you know the, the higher ups. And it came with a price tag that made Warner feel like, well, wait a second, DC's not generating enough money to even justify this office space. So now uh, DC has been moved. Uh, they uh, are are gone from the Burbank headquarters that they had uh, to um, some new space, which is a Frank Gehry design building. Um, it's an open office. And I didn't know what that meant. So what it it's basically a shared workspace. It means that no yeah. one really has a desk. Some people work from home, some don't. It's kind of like soulless. And one of the coolest things about working for Marvel or DC is all the sh- the stuff you can see on the walls, you know, in the halls, all the swag, for lack of a better term. None of that will be present. Um, so like there's no DC Comics library, for example. They don't have like all the cool statues and stuff. It's just an office. Good. And you said good? Yeah. Why? I think uh, <laughs> you wanted to get, talk to me about the benefits of work from home. <laughs> like, I think for the actual workers, being able to work from home and eliminating a commute, especially in California, is much more better for everyone's mental health. Office be damned. It's interesting that you say that because in both the Bleeding Cool article that I'm referencing and the comic speed article, they quote unnamed sources who say it sucks um, because they feel like they don't work for DC. That one of the coolest parts of working for a comics company is mm. that, and that mm. it's gone now. Um, 
And that makes sense to me. Like if you work for, you know, just a random tech company, yeah, whatever. But working in comics, Confirm. you know, <laughs> I mean, come on, you know. Um, and also with these like cornerstones of the culture right now, there's no place to put the cool statues or the, you know, the memorabilia or, you know, like where where is that? Where's the spirit of DC, right? right? Like. Yeah. Um, Diane Nelson, actually, who was the former president of DC, said there's a happiness that comes with being so close to the studio, seeing people they haven't seen on a regular basis and being mm -hmm. in a creative space that feels like a comic company. Uh, DC's been through a lot the last few years, and it's crazy to talk about a movie, right, that's like doing gangbusters and to hear that the people who create the character who's in the movie are just being shuffled around from office to office and kind of feels like there's no real plan for them. My hope is that this will actually result in less scrutiny because they won't be occupying a space that's too big for their britches, for lack of a better phrase. Um, that's my hope. I don't know. Seems like a another way to cut the people behind the scenes out to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah, you 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 might be right about that. Um, I want to respond to what uh, Manny said in the chat. Yes, for sure, but I wouldn't be talking about it if it was one review, right? Uh, he said, uh, "Our Rotten Tomatoes bases its ratings." on if one person likes it and one person doesn't it'll be 50 percent. i mean that's literally true that that is what 50 percent is but i wouldn't i wouldn't use that as a metric um and obviously also we're just you know joking around um so let's let's talk about let's talk about jason aaron because jason aaron got in trouble this week um so <clears throat> jason aaron careful you see the, see the picture yeah, i posted yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me see Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, before we start, start talk, talking about this, Mahmoud Asrar, fantastic artist, real good. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> dude. And by the way, Asrar is a super cool person. It's not on the internet anymore, but one of my favorite interviews I ever did with a creator was with him. He is fantastic. Fantastic. Was it for the uh, Untalked About uh, website? Uh, before, well, it was purged from that website. Actually, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for legal reasons. Hmm. Anyway, uh, so Jason Aaron writes King Conan, uh, known, of course, for writing things like Thor, um, you know, introducing uh, Jane Foster's Thor, um, you know, stuff like that. Uh, current writer of Avengers, right? Yep. Um, so lots of stuff. Like I said, writing King Conan, um, and in the in in this issue, uh, he introduces a character called Matawaka. I hope hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Um, but Matawaka is the birth name of Pocahontas, and that upset a lot of people. Uh, that pissed off people because of the fact that you know they felt it was disrespectful to use the name of someone who really lived, and of course all of the shit that you know, um, native people were put through mm. by, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the colonizers. colonizers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then it was disrespectful to just use that name for another story featuring just a white guy who's, you know, a big brutish dude. Right. Um, and so again, Jason Aaron got taken to task 
majorly uh, for this. Um, it's also worth pointing out that uh, Pocahontas was actually prob- most probably a little girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she was a, in the time frame, a, chi- a child bride. That. Yeah, she was yeah. most probably like 12 to 13 years old um, when all that stuff uh, went down. Um, and so a Native American writer um, who has written for different shows and things like that um, posted on Twitter just really blasting Jason Aaron for this. Um, just really, really uh harsh stuff uh she said disgusted isn't even close to a word for it how is this okay she was a real little girl do this to her to us over and over again i'm just at a loss disgusting does she not deserve rest reclamation honor you colonizers make me make me vorn oh vom vomit marvel i highly recommend you pull this from your canon you create something amazing like echo then pull this crap out for shame Stanley would be rolling in his grave. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, um, sure about that. <laughs> but yeah, and on and on. And there were a lot of other people who, who made similar statements. Um, uh, Twitter user Rightburn only said uh, this new comic is sexualizing a girl who was trafficked at a young age. And at Chris Arant is out here praising it and ignoring the racism and misogyny of it. Damn, Chris Arant getting caught in the crossfire there. He's taking strays. Yeah. Um, I haven't read the comic, to be fair, so I don't want to, like, I can't speak to the quality, but um, I'm looking at the pages, and I can see the problem. Like, it it looks awful. Not the art itself. The art's great. Mamuda's art's great. What it is depicting, bad. Rough. Here's the thing. With the Conan book, historically um if you're looking for um female characters that aren't overly sexualized you're looking at the wrong book uh it's it is mm. every character every pretty much major female character is wearing uh is is making uh slave leia's costume look uh tame uh in comparison um so right off the bat, like that's just, that's just kind of Conan. Not to minimize what exactly happened, but uh, yeah, it's it is skimpier than a bikini. So so here's the thing: I am like, for me, I don't care what a character is wearing. Like, if you want to, if you're gonna like, all in my mind, Cyclops is being sexualized. Superman is being sexualized, just like Wonder Woman and Catwoman, in the sense that. You know, they all have six-pack abs. They're all super ripped, you know, huge, bulking arm muscles, perfect faces, everything, right? Um, It's just about what appeals to who. So I'm not necessarily perturbed by any degree of sexualization. My problem, and I think what is being addressed here is more about, and I know you know this, but I'm just speaking to it. Um, Mm. The fact that this is a real person who like really went through this and to use it for this purpose now without making any kind of statement is kind of weird especially when you could have named her literally anything else to go with that name implies that jason aaron knew who knew what the name meant he knows that 
So if you know that, you probably also, I hope, know the history of the of the the, the real person, not the character. Forget Disney. Let's talk, just talk about reality. Hmm. And if that's the case, then you did this knowing what it would mean, and that is screwed up. I think it's almost worse than that because I don't I don't think that this was intentional, but. I think the fact that it was so unintentional is almost even worse because um, it's like he did bare minimum research on, you know, he's like, oh, what's a good Native American name for a woman? Uh, who was who Native American? Oh, Pocahontas. What was her real name? Let me use that. Like, that's as far as it went, which is almost even more insulting because you you refuse to even do any research into what means and, and the, the, the gravitas that uh, such a historical figure has you know and you assume that no one else is going to know yeah and or like care or tip, look it up or like from a creative creative standpoint it's like bare minimum it's like i'm not even going to make up a new name or 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 find something yeah. lesser known like i'm just going to steal pocahontas's name hopefully nobody realizes it it's stealing more from native people uh chillmonger in the chat shout out to you chill uh if you guys haven't you should check out our our collaboration video we did on Chill's YouTube channel, uh, that's just Chillmonger on YouTube, um, says every female character with exceptions to Kitty Pride, who we knew as a youth. I bet in 40 years when Kamala Khan grows up, they want to draw her with larger features. Um, and thank you for the follow. Really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Um, I think every, I think all those characters have been drawn in like every way. I've seen Mary Janes that don't yeah. have any real standout physical features at all and i've we've seen mary jane cj's got campbell variants right um <laughs> so that's absolutely true i guess my again the problem here is specifically that this was a real person who did have there was a lot of bad stuff with that but jason aaron does have a response so jason aaron uh wrote into actually bleeding cool and uh, spoke to this issue and said, in King Conan number three, I made the ill-considered decision to have to give a character the name of Marawaka, a name most closely associated with the real-life Native American figure Pocahontas. This new character is a supernatural thousand-year-old princess in a cursed island within a world of pastiche and dark fantasy and was never intended to be based on anyone from history. I should have better understood the name's true meaning and resonance and recognized it wasn't appropriate to use it. I understand the outrage expressed by those who hold the true Matawaka's legacy dear, and for all of this and the distress it's caused, I apologize. As part of that apology, I've already taken what I was paid for the issue and donated it to the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. The character's name and appearance will be adjusted for the rest of this miniseries and in all digital and collected editions. Um, this is the hard part. Go ahead, Kel. Is that, especially the first part, does that come across as, well, it's not supposed to be real? That's the vibe I got was like, hello, don't of, you know yeah. that this is just fantasy? Yeah. A bit of comic explaining, you know? And I hate, I don't like to do that. I, I like to take people at face value. If you're apologizing, I like to take it for what it is but it's so hard for me to do that when like you would think that okay there's jason aaron who should be careful but also marvel has editors who should be careful we just did a story about sensitivity issue regarding um greg smallwood's electra 
where he was drawing, mm-hmm. you know, the Asian characters and they literally changed his art. But when Jason Aaron uses a name that I think probably most people would recognize is going to be offensive, it passes. And maybe there's maybe that's a larger lesson, right? Maybe the lesson is in general, people who are otherwise well-meaning don't recognize native people. I can buy that. Mm. I can buy that. Uh, I admittedly, I gotta say, I don't think it would have even occurred to me had sure. same, you know, someone not pointed it out. So I can, I can, I can see the the blind spot and the benefit of a doubt. I my issue is that Jason Aaron's uh, formative comic book is scalped. Which again yeah. is based in a more modern uh, setting of the Native American culture, but it's it's based in that. Um, which there there seems to be like if that guy wrote that comic, and I've never read Scalped, it's one of my blind spots. You know, we mentioned it earlier, but it is one of my blind spots. Um, I've heard good things, but if he did all that research for that and just kind of just threw this out here, it just seems like disrespectful in its laziness yeah you know um and you know like jason aaron will recover from this marvel will be fine again people unfortunately dismiss native people um mm-hmm. but i think you know we do I, I i don't know it's so hard i just think tell the story you feel like telling but with within that be as respectful as you possibly can until it hurts your story. Like if there was a specific reason why he had to use that name and it mattered to the story and it was like, that, this is the linchpin, do what you got to do and eat the heat round when it comes your way. Mm. But you could, you, it, it, but I didn't read it, but based on what I'm seeing and if you could just literally just go and change the name and the story remains, you probably could have done that before it got published. That's all that, I'm saying. Yeah, that's the thing that I don't get. It's like, why name her that in the first place? I mean, you know, admittedly, it's a cool name, but it exists. Like, you know, if you're not using the, you know, the quote unquote character of Pocahontas, uh, Matawaka, like, why use it? Like he probably wouldn't. He probably wouldn't tell a story featuring black characters. Name one Rosa Parks, and have her get beaten in a race riot. You know what I'm saying? Like that. That he probably would think to name that character Wanda or something else because he would know that that would get backlash, right? So it's it's just that thing of like this race matters and we don't want to hear from them, but these people, I'm not even thinking about that. And I'm not saying that to say that he knew ahead of time, Oh, they'll care, but I don't care. I'm saying that to say he didn't think about it because again, people aren't thinking about natives. That's what I'm saying. But also like if he did the research and it's like, all right, this is the story, the historical story of Pocahontas. Let me throw her in Thasia Doris cosplay for this book. Like, uh, like, there was research done for him to know the name. Right. So yep. like it it just seems like uh, just it's a iffy. real dumb move. Yeah. Let me make this it's historical it's... story about a 14 year, girl, year old girl who was most likely sex trafficked and taken away from her home nation 
uh, by the white man well, and uh, if make her the concubine just, of a white man. <laughs> like it's just Disney doing it again. Oh shit! <laughs> All right, and that's where we move on. I mean that. I mean it's kind of that Pocahontas cartoon. Uh, a little problematic there. A little problematic. It's got a pug yeah. in it, though, so that's cute. Um, well, I mean, the raccoon. Come on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hummingbird. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Doctor Strange and Kevin Feige. Uh, so Doctor Strange, obviously, Multiverse of Madness is coming really soon. And Benedict Cumberbatch was awarded with a Hollywood Walk of Fame ceremony, um, which is that cool thing where you get to, like, press your hands into the ground or whatever. When did they run out of spots? Like, how far does this Walk of Fame go? Oh, like, yeah. I, I don't think know. It, go, it goes a, a while. Like, it, I, uh, I'm i pretty sure I, last, last I heard, it at least now, like, circles the block. Like, I think, I think they're going to have to start, like, spreading it out. You cross the street and like, are people going to be like, yeah, I'm within the first 30 feet, you know? Yeah. Who's going to be, who's going to be the first person across the street. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, about Benedict, Ke- Kevin said, uh, Benedict has turned this character into an, into an icon appearing in a historic three of the top six films of all time. Wow. That's crazy. Ooh. Um, Damn he said, that's... uh, because somewhere you knew this would have this would be, and you've always seen the tremendous potential in this character. Because of that, you've become the anchor of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the only actor capable of guiding us through the madness of the multiverse. That's really the thing I wanted to focus on real fast, <laughs> is that anchor comment. That Doctor Strange is the anchor of, of, of uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, for whatever reason, uh, Doctor Strange is extremely popular right now. And when I, I believe this is true, when <laughs> I was asked, <laughs> for whatever reason, <laughs> when I was asked who were they going to build the MCU around now that Iron Man and, and uh, Cap were gone, I said Doctor Strange and Spider-Man and Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Because Doctor Strange is the key figure of like the multiversal stuff. Um, that made sense to me at the time. After Endgame. However, I don't know if that's what I want. Is it because Doctor Strange and Benedict Cumberbatch have absolutely no charisma or personality whatsoever? Whoa, no, that's not how I feel. Not not far off. I like I like Doctor Strange. I just feel like Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange, even in the comics, like no offense to you, strange heads out there. He is an A tier supporting character. Oh my god! Thank you. <laughs> like, uh, like Doctor Strange, like, like the- he rules. Yes, he's so freaking cool. Yes, that's it. He's like the Paul Dano of comic book supporting characters. <laughs> if that's a yeah. spoiler, I don't. You better watch it. It's, it's uh, no, it's not. I'm just saying Paul Dano is never a lead actor. He's always a supporting actor, and he's always fantastic in everything he's in. I'll talk about Doctor Strange is a cool guy. Love the character. Been great in all these movies. I see why he's in high demand. But if you're talking about building the MCU going forward, I like past Multiverse of Madness. I don't know about that. Like you have Sam Wilson, Captain America, who they really, really need to to 
hit the gas on. Um, you have Captain Marvel, which, you know, I know that Brie Larson, Captain Marvel is not the most popular, but still. And Spider-Man. But, like, the, the question always is, like, do you really have Spider-Man? Like, because of the wonky nature around his rights? Hey, man, you have him enough to put him in, you know, movies that make billions sure, of dollars. Sure. But I think um, I think in terms of, you know, capital D Disney, they're going to want to build build their universe around somebody they have full control over. So not the black guy, not the worst. Of course. Let's do the third white dude. But yes. this one has a cape. Yeah. I mean, DC's what's been doing the... Years. What's the commonality between Iron Man and Doctor Strange? What do you mean? Well, like, you know, the first one was Iron Man, right? Like, they built this universe around Iron Man. Mustache bros. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, it's, is it the facial hair? Like... <laughs> Um, well, you know what? I think I think I, I do have a legitimate answer to that, and it is that when Marvel put out the Doctor Strange movie, it very much felt like this is the Tony Stark of the weird, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, if we're going into the weird, it makes logical sense that that he would be the character to drive that forward. It's just that I literally don't think he's as interesting as Tony or many of the other characters that they have access to. Um, and it's like, you know, I'm joking when I say, oh, another white guy, because, like, that's just comics. And it's fine. I don't care about that. But um, for the sake of something different, right, if that's the agenda now is something different, I don't feel like Doctor Strange is something different. He's sure, kind I of feel, been around. I feel like this is them saying, like, oh, uh, Dolph Ziggler is going to be our new A, a guy, our new uh, top, <laughs> no, top tier. It's not like that. <laughs> It's not like that. It's like we got, we got Keith Lee, reference. but we're gonna we're gonna push Ziggler instead. I mean, yeah, this is more wrestling stuff. Sorry, Cal. Like, no. Oh, no oh my god! It's just, it's just the bit again. That's funny. Um, my brain thinks. Manny in chat says Doctor Strange Eraser. I'm sorry, like I I, I love Doctor Strange. I think we probably all do, but mm-hmm. you know, it's just it's like, is it really that serious? Would Would you? Who would you pick to be the linchpin of the MCU going forward if you could? Sam Wilson. I feel like he he is the everyman, right? He is the man on the street, but he's also the man in the sky. And I think similar to Tony Stark and how he was impacted by seeing the alien invasion and being a human who had to deal with that, I think you can do a lot of that with Sam Wilson stepping into the world of the multiverse and being a fish out of water and having to lead the Avengers who are jaded now, who have seen it all and done it all, and being like, hey, I'm just a dude with uh, some wings and a shield, and we're going to fight Kang now, and I'm going to lead you. You know, like, for me, there's a lot of narrative juice there, whereas Doctor Strange can do anything. So do I really feel like he's at Mm -hmm. risk? Do I really feel like I don't buy that, you know? Not in the same way. I think think, uh, Scarlet Witch too would be a, a really excellent choice you know she made this huge mistake you know uh kidnapping a town for her own you know whims or whatever and 
you know, uh, pestering with magic in whatever way, I think, you know, it, it could send her into the multiverse um, to explore her powers and explore the way the whole thing works. Um, you know, I, in, in that sort of new student way or whatever. Um, and it would leave us uh, wanting more Dr. Strange because he's, you know, he's the, he's a, a, a backseat character and he works best that way. I think. Honestly, my answer, and it's going to be a dumb answer. Here we go. As are most of my answers. I think in terms of like actor like ability and the movie's coming up soon. I think Paul Rudd, I think you you push him into that kind of like weird Tony Stark position where I think like you can have like him fill the Tony Stark role and Sam fill like the, the Steve Rogers role and kind of work something there. Um, I, first of all, I just, I just love Paul Rudd. I mean, Sexiest Man Alive 2021. Oh, my God. Is that true? That's true. Has, hasn't he been the sexiest man alive like four times? No, I don't think he's ever been. Yeah, he should never be. Um, well, what do I care? I don't know about that shit. Uh, <laughs> he is Sean the sexiest has man strong alive. opinions like, on the sexiest men alive. Idris Elba, right? Like objectively, um, especially as Knuckles. Come whoa. on, see, see, you're the furry. Don't put that on me. No, no, yeah, not true. Yeah, not true. you just said Idris Elba is the sexiest man alive as Knuckles. Two dimensional, there's no fur. Mm-hmm. Mm, there's definitely fur, my man. I'm on to you. <laughs> but this the only reason I really did this topic was for a second round of vindication for me. Because adjacent to this conversation is Patrick Stewart confirming that it was his voice in the trailer for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. So let's clap it up. I have next gen constantly playing in the background of my home. Yeah. I know that voice when I hear it. Yeah. I don't know. Hey, P- Picard I got heat. Just came out too. You guys made fun of me for saying that it was Patrick Stewart. I agree with you. Kale made fun of me and there was some chat laughter. Uh, listen, <laughs> uh, who gives a shit? I don't, <laughs> I do. whatever. Okay. Fine. You, are, I'm sorry. Thank you. Appreciate it. I I, um, I I appreciate that. Before we move on, Tyler, where did you did you make the the picture that's on the Twitch screen? No, or is that I believe an this actual... is the the promotional image from the toys. I just like how uncanny valley it is. It's weird. Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> tell if you like photoshopped like Kevin Feige's eyes and nose or like I couldn't tell what was going on there. It's not right. Yeah, oh wow, Harris! I'm really sorry. That sucks, man. I didn't. I. I. That's that sucks. Um, avoiding spoilers. Whoop. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Harris. Sean doesn't give a shit about you. It's all about his vindication. <laughs> I mean, hey, if uh, like you listen every week, I'm surprised you didn't hear when we talked about the trailer. You know, like that's kind of what I we do. You know? He doesn't yeah, listen every week. It's, it's your not, fault, yeah. Harris. You hear that? Victim blaming. Well, you know. Um, <laughs> so we've talked a lot about like the movie stuff and not a lot of comics news this week. One of the hardest things about putting this show together every, every week is that if a movie came out, that's a superhero movie, 
There's like no news at all. And that's because superhero movies suck all the air out of the room, even in comics. Because comics take a backseat to the movies, even though comics came first. And you would think that that would mean that there would be some type of, um, you know, kickback or, you know, something that comics would see a benefit. And unfortunately, we know that that's not necessarily true. And so in our main topic, we're going to be talking about are adaptations actually hurting comics? Do adaptations make it more difficult for comics to stay afloat and alive? Um, that's what we're going to be dealing with here on our main topic. Do you guys need a break? Because I don't. I'm ready to go. Do you need a break? I'm ready. I could go. I'm all right. All right. Yeah. yeah let's I do got it. a bucket underneath me and the camera's good so I can I'll just mute myself. I'm sick, so I've got a catheter. Sweet. Oh, lucky. Mm. And Harris, I, I, I genuinely am sorry, dude. That that does suck. I would hate I would hate it if that happened to me. So I apologize. Um, so here's the thing. Um, if you want to watch, if you want to see Batman, right, you could go to the movies this weekend and see Batman. But you could not. You could go on HBO Max and you could watch, I don't know, any one of ten or more different live action appearances dozens of animated appearances an entire show dedicated several shows dedicated to the character all of that even audio dramas all of that before you would even have to pick up a comic book and that is probably the biggest difference between now and like let's say the 80s right or the 70s or the 60s pick pick your decade as it relates to accessibility with these characters. If you wanted more Batman in the 70s or whatever, I guess the 66 show did exist. Um, but pretty much you had to wait till next month. You know what I'm saying? Like you had to wait till the next till the next story came out or go through your backlog. When I was a kid, I used to read the same comics over and over because I was hungry for stories featuring these characters, but there was nowhere else to really go. Nowadays, we're deluged by them. They're all over the place. And I kind of wonder uh, if that hurts at all. Does that impact these characters? Because the average person knows them more from the movies and stuff like that than they do from the source. And I have what I think is an interesting comparison point, which is manga uh, and anime. If you like a manga for something, whatever pick your poison like demon slayer um he says with a question that's, mark <laughs> that's one right <laughs> yeah i know that that's a manga and i'm pretty sure it's also an anime i'm pretty sure there's an anime now correct which probably are the almost the exact same thing like pretty much it's probably as almost a one-to-one translation they're probably not changing major story beats they're probably not saying oh well this this dude's parents actually were horrible people who deserved to die. You know, like they're probably not altering the story too, too much. And that's not a spoiler for the Batman. Um, whereas we've seen Batman's origin and every time it's slightly different and every time it affects Bruce in a slightly different way. And whatever version you saw first is the version you're going to think is the truth. How do you guys feel about that? Do you think that matters? With the fact that these quote-unquote comic book characters are accessible and 
probably more widely known through things outside of comic books. Is that yeah. did I yeah. synthesize that correctly? Yeah. Uh, do I have a problem with it? No, not do you have a problem with it, but do you think it matters? Do you think that's impacting the industry? Does it impact the comic book industry in terms of the books? Sales, yeah. Um, yes and no. Um, I think yes. I mean, having your characters out there in a more um, accessible and wide-ranging um, format in film, whether it be you know TV or or theaters and movies, um, I think that helps no matter what in terms of brand notoriety. Um, mm. We have not really fully seen that translate to an, a direct impact of comic book sales, but I think the comic book industry only exists in the in its current way because of comic book movies. I don't think we'd have how many fucking Batman books do we have on the stands at one time? It's half of DC's line, I think. Mm. Um, I don't think we have that without, you know. Batfleck without Christian Bell's Batman. I think we have a much more smaller market because of it. I, I don't think it directly helps sales. It, sure it does, and especially with graphic novels and stuff. Like Amazon just put out a, a three-pack The Batman collection that was Long Halloween, Ego, and Year One, uh, which, fantastic three books. Yeah. <laughs> so if you don't have those, maybe pick up that collection. Um, but uh, I think in terms of generating revenue for the IP itself. Mm-hmm. It's it's great. And then that directly impacts the comic book market. It, it's it's more of a there's a couple degrees of separation. I don't think there's direct impact between that and one and the other, but I think there's more of an ecosystem that kind of feeds on different parts of it. Hmm. How about it, you, Kale? Yeah, I actually find it hard to um argue with, with what tyler said um i would certainly like to but I, I i think that's probably true i i i i think my my issue is you know it doesn't feed into comic books directly but you know if you buy a batman you know if you go to the batman movie and your kid wants a batman toy so you go to the toy store that helps the batman brand by getting the money back to you know warner brothers or whatever so they see oh okay people like batman i almost think of like comic books as a farm in a way well especially, especially nowadays the big it's two. farm yeah. yeah yeah it's oh there's new stories they can then adapt it, it's 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 so low on the 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 tree flow chart um, but it's also a, a key part of it you know what i mean like it's yeah. not as really accessible to everyone but if we're looking at it in a chart it's like a it is a linchpin to the grander picture of things so there is always going to be a place for it um, but whether or not the actual market of comics itself grows and is it better for that debatable see i i think it's i think it's a double-edged sword mm-hmm. because i think what you're saying is true, but I think that um, the fact that there's so much accessibility to a Batman or a Spider-Man or whomever makes it so that you really kind of don't have to pick up a comic, especially because they literally mm-hmm. adapt the same stories that you see in the books. And obviously we know they change things, 
Um, but if you were to buy, like if you were to see the movie Civil War and then talk to me about Civil War, we would say different things about what Marvel Civil War is, but it's essentially the same. Um, yeah, the, the MCU fan would be like, who's Goliath? Right. <laughs> yeah. And I've had this interaction so many times I can't even count it, where, you know, someone asked me a question about something. and I'm like, well, what you're talking about is the way it went down in the movies. But that's not like the canon of comics. That's just what happened in the movies. And I want people to care about that. Um, and I know that they don't. Some people do like people. Really, some people really go hard and like channels like um, Comics Explained does really well off of that fact that people mm. care. But I want them to care enough to go and buy it. Because that's how the industry the industry will live because of the movies, like you said, Tyler. But yeah, it I won't. Sorry. I was going to say, I don't I don't see a world where comic books don't exist, but the movies do. Do you know? What yeah, I, mean? I, I don't yeah. think that will ever happen. But it won't thrive and it won't thrive until the companies decide, hey, we're never going to stop the train moving on the movie end, but we can use it to kick back. One of the best things that I loved about um, the promotion of the Batman was how they did integrate the comics. They did. They did point you in the direction of the books and say, hey, um, in fact, one of the trailers uh, at the end of it says, uh, you know, go check out these comics in preparation for the movie, something to that effect. And it points to, you know, Law Halloween, Year One, whatever. And that's cool because for all these years that we've had comic book movies, they haven't done that. Mm. And I think that that is a huge problem. I really do. Uh, Marvel especially hasn't done it. You know, I think the, the closest they've done is the inverse, where then they make comics that are like the movies. Right rather than refer back. Um, I think if the movies and, and TV will have any direct effect, it's on graphic novel sales. I think the monthly format of comics is inaccessible to somebody, to the same person who would just enjoy film and TV. It's much more, mm. it's too much of a slow burn. It is just not how people consume content, really. It is, even even like manga, that stuff comes out weekly. You know, it's... The monthly format of comics, I think, is kind of antiquated for the average person. Not to mention just reading. God forbid I have to read something. Yeah. Um, you know, anecdotally speaking, I, I, my girlfriend wanted to read year one in preparation for the movie. And she couldn't even get through it. And then when she finally did finish it, which was last night, uh, she's, I asked her how, what she thought about it. She was like, eh. She was like, it was hard to get into because of the, the dialogue. Not that it was bad, just that if she felt it was um, stilted. And I get that. It mm. makes perfect sense because there's a huge, if, if, a, if a character in a movie goes on a soliloquy, right? It's different because there's facial movements, there's camera cuts, there's, you can he literally hear them talking. If they do the same thing in a comic, we will review it and say, God, that was wordy. You know what I mean? Mm. Um so it's just different mediums and what comics are is less penetrable, but also less ingrained in society. Everyone likes movies, you know, pretty much everybody watches movies. So you're used to what a movie is, where if you pick up a comic, you have to get used to reading something and looking at images and putting those two things together. Where do I look? How do I follow the, 
you know, Plaid was saying that, you know, if you're a really talented artist, you're going to make that seamless, but it's not seamless. Like the, the reverse of that is I can't, I tried reading manga when I was a kid and I was like, I don't even understand how to read this. Because it wasn't the same as a comic, I didn't get it. It was, it, it was, it didn't make sense to, to me. I have to read backwards. That doesn't compute, right? Yeah. Um. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's a problem that will never be solved, but I, I do so. think that it hurts the industry. I do. I, the way I view monthly comic book reading or biweekly, if you're a fucking Spider-Man book, um, is it will always be a niche boutique thing. For the amount of content you get for the cost, I consider that boutique. You're not getting as much bang for your buck as you would from any other form of entertainment. Even a paperback novel gives you much more time um, for what you get. Like, how long does it take you guys to read a comic? 10 minutes, maybe. 10, yeah. Yeah. 15 if it's, you know, a, a bigger book. But you're paying, what, four bucks on average for it? Four or five. You go on Steam and buy a four dollar uh, game that gives you twenty hours of content. You know, yeah, I could play Five Nights at Freddy's for that yeah. amount and scare the shit out of myself. Yeah. for a few hours before I stop, and well, and, he, and get more of a an emotional reaction. Sure, is another thing. Like and a more complete not... story. Yeah, yeah. I um, think a base Netflix subscription is between five and eight dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just so, just in terms of like a monetary monetary value, it will never be big again. I don't think. Um, I think the most direct thing is graphic novels. I think that you know, whereas the monthlies are just a vessel to then make a graphic novel collection, which then they can push in digital sales, in physical sales, and promotions to coincide with movies. Um, you know, like they put out a lot of covers that, oh, this is a new printing, and this this one has a cover that's the movie poster, you know, yeah. for the movie that just mm-hmm. came out. I think that's the most direct thing you're going to see. I think people just got to realize, like, your niche little hobby is kind of all that's going to be. And I think the more the more common thing will be MCU movies, DCFU movies, if they can fucking figure that out. I got the stinger in front of my uh, Batman screening of all the DC movies coming out this year. I'm like, none yeah. of these connect. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, which I'm cool with. And, and I like that because I think like there is almost a good thing about monthly comic book reading in that it is niche because there's community that can build up, build up around it. Yeah. Like what's the community that builds up about M- MCU? Like everything's a flash in the pan, you know, Oh, let's break down this new Doctor Strange movie trailer. Oh, and then we stopped doing that after a week because a new trailer came out. Nothing really lasts in that kind of fandom. But look at us. We talked about year one last week. That shit, people have been talking about that book for 30 years. You know, so I think there's the community aspect of it is is almost better if it is smaller. And never really grows. Maybe that gets a little gatekeepy. It's not the point. I think there are inroads to joining it, and I welcome anyone to to get into the the, the medium. But yeah, I like that point. Um, and and like you know, you said gatekeep, and like we're not about that on this podcast, like at all. But I do girl boss though. I do girl boss. <laughs> Man, I was gonna make that. See, if I'd said that, it wouldn't have flown. Um. 
I so like I like the fact that there is kind of a I guess difficulty for lack of a better phrase there's an effort required to get into comics in a real way like anybody can buy a graphic novel but like if you want to read weekly books or monthly books there is some some level of effort that's required that creates a connection between you and the thing um and I like that. I like the fact that, you know, when I speak to someone who reads comics and they don't have to be like a super nerd or anything, like the passion that they're going to talk to me about the books that they like about or the passion they're going to talk with is cool. It's cool to hear that. It's cool that people get that into it still. You know, I love whenever I get to speak to, which it doesn't happen that often anymore, but like someone who's new to comics, it's yeah. awesome because you're coming into something that you didn't know about and like there's all these things not just marvel and dc anything and it's exciting um one of one of my friends you know she um never really read comics and then she found deadly class and it resonated with her so much that she went to comic-con and cosplayed as one of the characters you know um and that's i love that so much so it's not about gatekeeping but it is cool that the passion that people have for this stuff is awesome that you don't necessarily see with MCU people. Now you do, you will see somebody say like they'll their their handle on Twitter will be like Yelena Belova's ear and they're obsessed <laughs> with Yelena Belova, but that's like creep level to me. Um <laughs> so that I don't get Sean does not like stan accounts. <laughs> no, <laughs> not, not a so fan. Much. Uh, but, but like the, the thing with like monthly comics too, and then I don't I don't think like mainstream you know, non-comic readers will ever really understand is the personal nature of how scheduled it is. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is weekly. It's every week mm-hmm. you do your thing. And because it is weekly, because there is structure there that you do not get with movies because that shit gets... Look at Morbius. Like, I'm never going to have mm-hmm. a personal com- connection mm-hmm. to Morbius, mostly because Jared Leto, but also because there's no... I don't. No one's going to come out. Like whoa, 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 whoa. Morbius is the next Marvel legend. Didn't you know that? Oh, my God. Never. <laughs> you heard, did you catch that in the trailer? That's how they end the trailer. The next Marvel yeah. legend, Morbius. And it's like, whoa. Mar- all, like, I Mar- know the, the slate of Marvel Legends action figures coming out. Morbius was two years ago, okay? The fact that you know that is... Uh, but, like, deep. the fact that, like, comics comes out, like... And maybe I have mental illness where it just helps with me. <laughs> but, like, because it's so scheduled and structured, I think there is a personal aspect to it. And, yeah. and, and I can remember things much deeper when it comes to that like i remember picking up shit like the flintstones comic in a new york city you know comic book shop on a particular wednesday like i remember that experience of reading it can i tell you what i remember seeing eternals in the theater no i remember the burger i had afterwards that was a very good five guys burger but like yeah well, let's let's end this conversation with Nihilus's question from Discord. This is a question that kind of inspired this whole deal. Um, so, Tyler, why don't you take it away one last time? Uh, yeah, so uh, what is the appeal of adaptations? Big question, I know. Obviously, the appeal for the majority of moviegoers is that's where they see these characters because they don't read comics. So for you as a comic book reader, what is the appeal of adaptations? So... Just in case the question is unclear to anyone, essentially what the ask is, um, if you read comics, why do you enjoy comic book adaptations? At least that's how I'm reading this question. Um, What what is the appeal for you? Um, My answer is that I want to see this stuff, you know, 
come to life. I want to see these characters who I grew up with, um, you know, be acted out, you know, Um, seeing Iron Man for the first time was crazy because I didn't know anybody who cared about Iron Man at all, you know, and like I liked Iron Man from the comics and Civil War and stuff like that. And now Robert Downey Jr. is playing this character, you know, to a T. Um, seeing, you know, Civil War, even though I, I have talked about how I dislike certain things about it, um, seeing that play out on screen, that was crazy. It was amazing. Um, I love that. Seeing the Infinity Gauntlet in a movie, that's, I, I mean, come on, you know, this is, yo, that's what, that's why. When we eventually see the ultimate nullifier in a movie, oof, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna pop hard. Yeah, dude, um, Galactus, one time for the one time. For me, it's like, I love vanilla, the flavor of vanilla. It's one of my favorite flavors out there. But I love that shit in a lot of different ways. I like a nice vanilla ice cream. You know, classic. That's like comic books for me, like weekly comics. Yeah. It's like vanilla ice cream. But like, do I also want a vanilla latte? Yeah, that's fucking good too. I want vanilla syrup and a nice cocktail. Sure. I've had terrific tiki cocktails with vanilla syrup in it. Like, I like this idea of something. And I will take that in any form, really. I've read even, like, comic book novels. I have a fucking next-gen X-Men novel behind me. Um, but, yeah, like, it's just something I like. I like, I also like, like, especially with superhero comics and, and specifically, it's such, like, an American thing. And I know it's, like, I don't want to get, like, super patriotic or anything like that. But, like, I think it's so based in, like, the idea of America and, and it's specific to that. Um Maybe almost too far, you know. You bring up Iron Man one, and I I, re- I rewatched that movie. I'm like, oh, this is an ad for the military industrial complex. Okay, um, but I will just enjoy that flavor in any way I can get it, you know, with comic books. So I'm cool with adaptations. Really struggled with this question over the week, um, because I've especially with the Marvel films, I found that I don't particularly like the adaptations. And Sean, you've pointed this out on the on the podcast a couple of times, or you've at least put it into words, is that, you know, the the titles steal the hype from the book, but then it's a completely different thing. Yeah. I don't particularly care for a civil war. Um, the comic. The book, oh, uh, yeah. the movie. Sorry, okay. the, the, the film. Okay. I like the book mostly. Um. But at the same time, you know, I look at something like like Mask of the Phantasm and I, you know, there are there's so much in that, you know, animated film that was taken from year one that I never even, you know, realized that I, th- I think what I enjoy is is seeing the. the way moments can be utilized in a different medium. Yeah. And I think what is often disappointing is it doesn't always feel like it's lived up to its potential. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and I think that's, that's the thing that frustrates me the most is it doesn't always come out on top. It's not utilized in its best way. I was going to say, like, with an adaptation, too, you run the risk of sterilizing the source. 
Yeah. Um, especially when it's you got so many cooks in the kitchen for a big corporate superhero movie. Whereas you know, maybe you can read the credits page of a comic book really quickly. So uh, it does lose that, I don't know, singular vision in a way and becomes just corporatized art, which can be upsetting, especially if you enjoy comics a lot. Um, but now, fucking the big two comics are also owned by big corporations now. So, like, what am I even talking about? <laughs> One of my favorite things that happens is, and this is this is why I will always defend adaptations, um, because I love it so much when one of my friends calls me and says, "Hey, man, you know, you told me about and this has happened. You told me about Kang years and years ago." And I didn't know who that was, but now I saw, you know, Loki and I just think Kang is the coolest and, you know, tell me, tell me more about this character. Um, or whenever like Thanos fought with the, uh, with the Avengers and my friends would call me and say, yo, Thanos is my favorite villain, you know? Um, and they're experiencing these characters that I have loved for decades for the first time. And they're falling in love with them, too. It proves what we all already know, which is that these characters are special. And there is magic. And the magic uh, supersedes the medium. You know, we love comics and we appreciate and respect them. But these people that created these characters are geniuses. These people that created these characters had magic. And they were able to put that on the page. And then now people are taking it and in my opinion you know using that same uh magic to bring them to life on screen and i love that i want that for the world like what if you're not a douche right you would want people to like what you like you know like you wouldn't want to gatekeep you'd want the direct opposite and so that's what i want i want people to love this stuff how i do and i love the fact that when i have children I mean, I could just show them the comics, but like, I'll be able to put a movie on and say, hey, look at this um, Spider-Man that came out, you know, 10 years ago before you were even inside of me um, and, and and watch it with them. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why you're making that face, Tyler. This is the weirdest word of weirdest way to talk to your, your future kid. <laughs> Please, whatever. Your dad never gave you that speech like, oh, uh, before you were in my nuts, blah, blah, blah. No, nope. Nope. I can safely say my dad has <laughs> never said that to me. Nope. No, never. Nope. Right. You know what? I'm cool with that never happening. Uh, yep. Yeah. Anyway, that's the point. The point <laughs> is that I love this stuff so much because it it will persist and it will continue to exist, and everyone now can enjoy these characters how we do. I just read uh, Hermes Pips's comment in the chat said fandoms go hard, but I read it as femdoms go hard. I was like, yo, what are you talking about? Um all right but um anyway so i think we're in a weird spot though when it comes to adaptations because i think i think we're kind of turning into the opposite because of the way actors are finite and ips are being farmed so heavily we're in a place where they're taking characters from the comics that really don't have a soft spot in a lot of people's places and making them important peacemaker Peacemaker. tell me a peacemaker fan before suicide squad came out like maybe Alan Moore because he loved those old charlatan comics, you know, but um, James Gunn, 
Yeah, exactly. That's about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very niche. It's 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 niche within the niche, you know. Yeah. So in a way, that forming and making like Guardians of the Galaxy was like the first one was like, oh, I was a huge fan of Guardians of the Galaxy. Abnett Landing Run, one of my favorite runs of all time. Yeah. But like even I knew that like and that was not a popular comic. <laughs> mm. Um, but in a way, like then they made that even more important than the actual comic was, you know. So it, it's the adaptations can help. In a way, it helps me. Like I like Peacemaker now, and now they're coming out with more Peacemaker comics. Like a Garth Ennis Peacemaker one shot came out, you know, where it's benefiting what I like, uh, right? In the opposite way. So, yeah, and you know, to that point, like I like Iron Man and Captain America, but they were not. People don't really know this, but they weren't they were A-list, A-list characters. Yeah, they were yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Especially um, post heroes so are born. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed that conversation. Um, there's there are a lot of people who love to hate on, you know, Marvel movies, DC movies, just the idea of these things in general. And um, you know what? I think I think it's an overall good thing that they exist. Um, do they hurt comics? I believe they do. But I think that the good hopefully outweighs that i'm hopeful that the good outweighs the bad that's how i choose to feel about it um, when you say you you think they hurt comics you think they hurt the specific part of comics that you enjoy most like am i reading that correctly uh i think they hurt the big two huh. yeah sales wise okay if you're okay that's how you're basing it. i think I, yeah I, i'm reading it in your, as you're saying as like it hurts them in general which I don't think is possible. No, 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 no. Okay. Just, just gotcha. in terms of sales. Um, okay. uh, and also, I don't really love it when like Marvel like made Nick Fury black or whatever. Like, like I don't love that type of stuff. But I recognize why they do it. It is what it is. It's fine. Um, but yeah, write in and let us know your thoughts about that. Whether you agree with us, disagree with us, it's all fine. Just let us know how you feel. Um, you can get us, of course on youtube.com slash the comics pals leave us a comment there that's generally where you guys get us we appreciate that so much while you're there subscribe for free like the video share with your friends uh, all that's free to do uh twitch.tv slash the comics pals where you can watch this very show live every single monday at 10 and wednesdays for pals polls at 6 p.m eastern don't know what we're going to be talking about this week comics wise but you will know soon saturdays on. at 10 sean saturdays at 10 no pals polls wednesday no, you said uh, you can catch us every Monday live. At 10. I'm sorry. Yeah. Saturdays at 10. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, and if you want to know what we'll be reviewing for Pals Pulls, you can follow us on social media to find out uh, ahead of time. And join our Discord server where we're always having great conversations. This main topic was inspired by Discord. So thank you to everybody who writes in over there. Kale, plugs. Thank you so much for listening to us this week on the Comics Pals. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. You can find my work at kaleward.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. Tyler. Uh, you can find me at the Tyler Olson on Instagram and Twitter. Um, tweet at me if I should open up these Marvel retro. Show me. Oh, do do I still haven't decided even though we talked about yeah, the other don't do it, last bro. week. You'll wow, regret it. Don't do it. I want to display them. Like I want to like take them out. Just play them in the box, hands. bro. Can you show the back? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, it's the Human man. Torch one. Wow. The thing one is nice though. Do ah, everyone's saying do not take them out. Maybe I'll get a shelf. Okay, this is what I'll do. I'll get a shelf. I'll put them all on the shelf in the packaging. See how it looks. 
And then, oh, they're so cool. But I feel like if I have a, you know, when I have a kid eventually, I want them to play around. With them. I don't, I don't want them. They're not precious to me in that, that sense. If they're not, you got to open them, dude. If you don't have those feelings, you just open them. And, just, and I, I implore I wanna... you to get on the floor with your kid and play with them. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. Like, they won't be mine once I have kids. They are my kids. Oh, man, I love that so much. I, I don't. The, the, the floppy comics, they ain't fucking touching those motherfuckers. You but don't touch them. I don't. I don't. Um, yeah. And it occurs to me, maybe I shouldn't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah, eventually. I mean, like, I, I want to, like, it'd be cool. Like, I, you know, I could tell you, like, oh, there's my kid who knew who Moon Knight was. Before. Actually, no, that doesn't work anymore. I don't have a kid, and Moon Knight's already coming out as a TV show. Yeah. I don't know. Night Thrasher. He'll know what Night Thrasher is, or he or she, or they will know what Night Thrasher is before. Well, because of the show. Everyone. Honestly, I'd be into it. Get, the, get one of the guys from Brink to be the villain. As for me, uh, I am at Sean Soapbox on Twitter and Instagram only. Uh, Hit me up to talk about the Batman. I am going to see it at least two more times. I've got one of those planned out already. Book the tickets. Really? Can't wait. Yeah. Super excited. Um, and listen to our review. That's where you're going to hear my thoughts is, is in our review. So thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time, take care. See you next week.